Top 10 enterprise tech trends, trouble with IT go-betweens, digital strategy theory versus reality, and digital transformation in education. Those are just a few of the topics we're going to cover today in episode number 115 of Transformation Ground Control. This is Transformation Ground Control. Your source for all things business, technology, strategy, and change. If you're growing your business, leading change within your organization, or undertaking any sort of operational or technology change initiative, this podcast is for you. This show covers what you need to know about digital transformation, organizational change, operational improvement, and business growth. Five, four, three, two, one. And now, here's your host, Eric Kimberly. Hello, welcome to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. This is the podcast that has everything to do with digital strategy and digital transformation related topics, everything related to people, process, technology, and change in general. Uh, my name is Eric Kimberly. I'm the CEO of Third Stage Consulting, and we're an independent consulting firm that helps clients throughout the world reach their third stage of digital transformation success. I'm your host today, and with me hosting, as always, is Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. We've got a, a great show for you today. We're going to uh, dive into some interesting topics. As always, we're going to start off with some uh, a couple of hot topics we're going to get to. Um, in addition to audience questions that we've taken from social media, we're also going to get into some hot topics that we've chosen to dive into a little bit more detail. One is top 10 enterprise tech trends for 2023. Uh, we'll dive into a recent article that covers their view of what those top 10 enterprise tech trends are. And then we're also going to talk about the trouble with go-betweens in IT, and this is based on a, a McKinsey article that was recently published. So we'll dive into that and talk about the implications of that. And uh, later in the show, after our opening segment with the hot topics and the audience questions, we're also going to get to a segment with Dr. Scott Janke, who is a director at Third Stage Consulting. He's a, a director of strategy and transformation in the North American office of Third Stage Consulting. And he's going to be on the show joining me to talk about digital strategy, theory versus reality. So we're going to talk about some of those things that sound good in theory and digital transformations and digital strategies but oftentimes don't translate well to reality and, and also vice versa. So we're going to cover both sides of that equation uh, later in the show. So stay tuned for that. And then last but not least, later in the show, we're going to have Andrew Hayes uh, on the show, who's a consultant in the public sector, and he's going to be talking with us about uh, digital transformation in education. So again, specific to the education industry vertical, but there's some good lessons in there that are relevant to any sort of uh, any industry that you might be in. So uh, stay tuned for that. So before we jump into these other guests that we have on the show here today, Kyler, what were some of these hot topics you have in mind for us? Yeah, well, you know, I, I'm a sucker for a good top 10 list. So that just hooked me right in. Um, but this specific top 10 enterprise technology list features trends for 2023. Um, you've done something similar on your YouTube channel. And many of it is... Um, is very similar to some of the trends that you covered when it comes to the growth of AI, um, multi-crowd strategy, cybersecurity, um, automation, those types of data-based strategies. But I actually want to talk to you specifically about numbers 7 through 10 because these are kind of different than what we've talked about before. So number seven trend is a modular approach, platform-based technologies that enable agility. So kind of that low-code, that modular ERP 
or modular best of breed system that supports the overall digital enterprise operations, but it's easy to use, incredibly flexible, um, and just overall agile to to change quickly or develop services and products that need to be done kind of on a, on a more urgent level. Um, so what's your reaction to, to that? Do you feel as though that, that will be kind of a main trend in going to that, that more piecemeal type of approach as opposed to, um, you know, a core ERP system? I do. In fact, that's one of my predictions. It's, It's paraphrased. It's not worded exactly that same way, but there's a theme very similar to that in my top 10 list for 2023 that um, I put out in a blog and video late last year. And I think the reason for that, the reason I think that you're seeing more of these modular slash platform-based transformations is because, partially because of Agile. I mean, Agile is becoming such a, a big movement in the corporate world today, in the business world in general. And that model or that uh, technology landscape fits or lends itself very well to the Agile model because you don't necessarily need to, unlike integrated ERP systems, you don't necessarily need to go through the entire process of defining all your requirements across the entire enterprise and finding one system that tries to do everything within your organization and then deploying it. Instead, you can pick off little pieces of your organization and start to go after it. But but one of the things that sort of a middle ground that the platform-based approach provides is it gives you a, a common platform that everyone's going to be operating from, but there might be different apps within that platform or within that ecosystem that you use um, so there's a, a sort of an integration or sort of a commonality, not as much as a unified ERP system necessarily, but um, one that's a little bit uh, looser, I guess you could say, or more of a balance. So I think that's just the way the world is going. And I think the big uh, the big single integrated ERP vendors are just, quite frankly, having trouble um, doing two things. One is being everything to everyone, which has always been a challenge for them to be, you know, provide best practices and workflows for all different industries and all different functions within those industries. Um, but also the, the second thing that's troubling them in this quest to retain their dominance in the market is that the the transition to the cloud has been very painful for a lot of these big vendors. Um, it's just taken a while and it's been a fairly abrupt shift or a tectonic shift in their uh, business model to move from on-premise to, um, to uh, cloud-based solutions. So I think those are just a couple of things that are um, sort of the, the tailwinds that are further fueling that trend that they're talking about here in this article. So long story short, or to summarize, I'd say, yes, I agree. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and I, I think the the most interesting piece of, of this is the polarization of the overall industry community around the two approaches. There doesn't seem to be a lot of moderate views about, oh, you could do this one, you could do that. There's many, many very passionate people that say, oh, this is the way, this is the future versus that's a terrible idea. So that's kind of an interesting take on that. Yeah. I mean, if you look at, you know, if, if I sell one or one or the other, I'm going to dig my heels in and say, the other side is a, a completely terrible idea. If I sell ERP software, of course, I'm going to hate this model of composable ERP or platform-based ERP, modular ERP, best of breed, whatever you want to call it. I'm going to say that's a terrible idea. You should, no organization should be doing that. They should be full, fully integrated, one single platform and vice versa. When I do the other side, if I'm on the other side, I'm going to, I'm going to poke holes at, at ERP systems too. So there's a lot of economic incentives for us to all dig in our heels. Although we are, we a third stage or technology agnostic. We're not affiliated with software vendors. So I guess we have the luxury of not digging in our heels and sort of seeing that middle ground. 
Yeah, and, the, and always the funny part, if you haven't um, gone over to Eric's TikTok, TikTok channel, go definitely check it out because a lot of that dialogue plays out there and you can definitely see the different agendas and talk tracks within the comments um, and it's very entertaining. And I will say, I'm very proud that I've gotten my first mean TikTok just this week on my channel. Oh, yeah. So I'm nowhere near your level, but you know. Yeah, it's, you know, it's just there. once you get the first one, you start getting getting lots of them, especially once once people feel getting triggered up, by one yeah. of your one of your videos. I know. <laughs> so number 8 is ESG initiatives become table stakes. So ESG is environmental, social and governance issues. And the trend here is that these are really top of mind for today's IT business leaders. Um, in this specific survey, 87% of all respondents believe that ESG initiatives are important to their business and long-term success. Um, so that specifically in a technology format showcases you know, the, the need for those compliance or governance pieces uh, to really be layered into the technology and business processes. So what's your reaction to that one? Yeah, I think there's... Um... There's a couple of cases to be made. I mean, there's uh, certainly organizations that value uh, the, the environment and minimizing their carbon footprint or whatever their environmental goals may be and or their social goals. Of course, um, you know, that those values as a company are going to manifest themselves well in, in that sort of ESG initiative and that ESG focus. Um, but even if you're an organization that doesn't necessarily prioritize that as a core value or a core part of your culture, um, the there's an increasing market for people that expect that from organizations. So I think that's why a lot of organizations are, are doing it is not just because they believe in ESG initiatives, but they know their customers do. So I think, um, you know, there's two angles to look at it from. Um, I certainly don't think it hurts. I mean, within reason, of course, uh, you don't want to bankrupt the company trying to uh, satisfy ESG initiatives and whatnot. You have to be, you have to have the luxury of being successful as an organization to then be able to uh, focus on ESG initiatives. It's almost like uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If you're if you're profitable, you're a successful organization. You have the ability to then focus on ESG. But if you're a startup or if you're a, um, a struggling organization, that may not be you know a, a high priority. So I think it depends on where you are um, in your growth curve and how successful of an organization you are. But I think there's a definite um, there's a definite potential, uh, or I see why you know organizations yeah. are are valuing that so much. Sure. And, and building on that is number nine, um, which is reg tech market grows. Um, so reg tech refers to technologies that help organizations improve the way they manage regulatory compliance. Um, and just to give you some numbers, the reg tech market was valued at $7.6 billion in 2021, and the market will hit $19.5 billion by 2026 with its, a compound annual growth rate of 20%, 21% technically, over a five-year span. So this is this is a new one to me and definitely wanted to get kind of your feedback as an industry expert if you think that this is going to really be on that top 10 trends list for enterprise technologies in 2023. Well, part of the reason why I love hosting this podcast is because I learn so much hosting yeah, it. And this is an too. example of one I did not know. <laughs> did you call it red tech? Is that what it's called? The whole category? Reg tech. So it's, it's like regulation technology. Oh, tech. That's okay. I'm just generalizing. That's, that's R E G tech. Got um, it. I, think you, I just said the color red. So I didn't quite understand that, but reg yeah, makes a I lot more you. sense, <laughs> but still I was not familiar with that uh, classification of 
technology, although I'll say it's, uh, I, I would totally agree. That's a really important one just because regulations are increasing and uh, regulations don't tend to go away over time. They tend to just accumulate. And so it becomes harder and harder for organizations to um, ensure that they're in compliance. And um, I think another thing is that, that you governments are growing. I mean, governments throughout the world, regardless of what you, whether you agree or not with that is a different story, but the governments are growing. They're regulating more and more. And I think over time, it's just becomes more difficult for organizations to operate uh, within compliance. So I, I could completely see that that market taking off like that. It's interesting to hear that the numbers are that big already, though. Yeah, I, I had never heard that in all of my research. So, um, you know, definitely wanted to bring that today the table as a new discussion point. If the audience is listening and has experience with that or has feedback, um, please drop, you know, kind of your um, overall insight in the comments so the rest of us can can learn from you as well. But definitely a, a newer piece that I haven't seen on any top 10 lists um, yet, I guess. New, new YouTube video idea. I'm taking notes right here. What yeah, is right? Regatech? That might yeah. be a YouTube yeah. video upcoming. Just go on TikTok and post it. All your followers will just yell at you about how that's not a thing. <laughs> Right. And I'll talk I'm about what an expert I am, even though I just learned about it. <laughs> but in all seriousness, if you don't follow Eric's TikTok, he has over 50,000 followers on there um, and some great, really short form content and obviously some very passionate followers and dialogue. So um, you can head over there and, and follow him as well. Um, so the next part I want to talk about is actually part of a more cohesive study about IT function and um, opportunities to improve from McKenzie that's um, that's actually titled Business and IT Need to Work Together Better. Uh, and one piece I kind of want to hone on and focus because we see this a lot in our digital transformation projects, specifically with our clients, is the go-between accountability. And I think they do a good job of explaining this because technology can seem so confusing, really intangible or intimidating that those business side prefer to leave it to the IT experts. Um, and to bridge that disconnect, companies have gone to kind of those go-between roles, or we talk about the business technologists. Um, and as a well-meaning effort to make IT more responsive and customer-oriented, however, that translator type of position hasn't been as effective a lot of times because it's so new. It's very difficult to define the roles and expectations on both sides. So... This study shows that that has reduced accountability on both sides of the divide, which has led to more siloed structures within organizations between the business and IT. So I thought I would just get your feedback on that research finding to see if that's something that, that you've seen or maybe some recommendations on if you're experiencing that. Uh, specifically, knowing the importance of any technology implementation has to be directly attached and have a strong relationship with business objectives. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was actually speaking with a client yesterday, the CEO of one of our larger clients, one of our multinational clients, and they're they're implementing SAPS for HANA, and we're helping them with the program management, and some of the change management, and other aspects of the transformation. But one of the comments he made in our conversation yesterday was he, how much he appreciates the relationship with third stage because we're able to bridge that gap between business and technology for them. And, he, and this is a, just to give you some context, this was a troubled, I'll call it a troubled, not a failed, but a troubled implementation that wasn't going well. And they hired us to come in and, and help get it back on track. And that's a common t point that organizations hire us is they'll, 
try it on their own or they'll try to go go it alone with their technical implementer or their system integrator and then they find it's too difficult and then they they hire us but he said that was one of the biggest benefits and so you know the way the way i look at it is i think it's really important to do that because when you're a technical consultant you're very myopically focused on building one piece of the technology you're not necessarily thinking about the business and it does this improve the business process and what's the impact on the culture and how are people going to respond to this technology and how are we going to ensure that people actually use the technology the way it needs to be, be built and it's not necessarily just because technology people aren't experts in that area or they don't care about some of the other pieces it's because they just don't have the bandwidth and the brain space to do do it all so they end up focusing and going deep in the technology and not you know not addressing those areas so it, it is very important but i think it's a uh, it's important to have a complete team that can help bridge that gap. You need people that are more business focused, still technical understanding, but more business focused. And you need people that are more technically focused and not as focused on business process or organizational change or overall strategy. It, but so the key is how do, you, how do you bring that together and how do you complete your team? And oftentimes that's why clients hire us is because they need that, we're, the, we're sort of the glue or the gel that completes that picture uh, in, in bridging that gap. Absolutely. And and the most interesting part about this episode, Eric, is we have two, I like to call them the unicorns on this episode, two of the smartest, most talented technical PMs I've met in my entire career, but also have the ability to really do that bridge gap. So definitely continue listening. This is one of the most valuable episodes when it comes to how do you bridge that gap as not only a consultant, but within your internal processes. Um, especially when it comes to a technology implementation. Uh, so really interesting study. I will link that down um, wherever you're getting um, all of your episodes today. And then I'm also going to link um, Eric's trends um, for 2023 that he has on his YouTube channel. So you can kind of have notes and compare. But if you do have any additional thoughts on the hot topics, just pop them in the comments. And then I always pull them um, for our, our question jar, which is coming up next. Yeah, that sounds good. And that's a good transition. Next, next, we will get to our questions from the audience from social media. Um, later in the show, we're also going to have Dr. Scott Janke on from Third Stage Consulting talking about digital strategy theory versus reality. And then also later in the show, we will have uh, Andrew Hayes on the show talking with us about digital transformation in education. So stay tuned for all those segments. But first, we'll take a quick break. We'll come back with some questions and answers. And uh, you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When I wake up, well, I know I'm going to be, I'm going to be the man who wakes up next to you. Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham, and you can find new episodes of this podcast every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So thank you for listening wherever you listen and or watch. 
Um, so before we get to our first guest, uh, Kyler, you had some uh, some more interesting questions that I have not yet seen, but I will soon learn with the audience what those questions are from social media. So what have you, yes. what have you got for us? In the hot seat, as always. Um, so if you have questions for Eric or you want to be featured in our Q&A, you can go ahead and pop questions for him um, on any of his social media platforms, YouTube, LinkedIn, um, TikTok, all of the different Twitter. I pull them all there. Uh, so that's where I get these. So if you'd like to be involved, just let me know. But let's get to a few of them here before um, we move on. So this is about, speaking of Agile, um, you recently put out a video about Agile versus Waterfall, almost a campaign video series that you've been doing. And this is one comment that said 80% of Agile is actually waterfall sprints, uh, is actually waterfall spread across multiple sprints. Um, so wanted to see your kind of reaction to that because that was the first time I've really seen that piece of feedback, um, but that's from your TikTok channel um, on your waterfall versus agile um, implementation approaches. Yeah, I, I think I mostly agree with that. Um, although I, I think that the thing that's missing, and maybe this is the 20% that is not included in the 80%, is uh, you know, agile typically will look at requirements for one small piece of the organization or relatively small piece of the organization, but it's not looking necessarily at requirements across the inner the enterprise and it's also not looking at end-to-end -end business processes so um that's to me the biggest differentiator nice good <laughs> good observation there um from that user. yeah i try yeah I try to Excellent. make observations. Whether or not they're good is a, you know, it's up for discussion, I suppose. <laughs> I, I think they're great. But of course you pay me, so that's my job. You're, you're biased, um, yep. <laughs> or I'm biased. Um, so this is an interesting um, question that came from your conversation um, from last week um, with Kiara um, about um, the use of technology to draft something like a cover letter. So this is my question is, why would an applicant be judged on a cover letter at all. Very few jobs include writing these days, um, and those skills aren't valuable anymore because technology can do it. And so this is a specific question, but it, it kind of um, alludes at a greater trend that we've been seeing of technology taking the place of human dynamic in the workforce and the ethics around that. So I thought I would bring it to the table as a follow-up to last week's episode, if you missed it. Um, you can um, go back and, and listen to Eric talk through some of these new automations and emerging technologies. Yeah. And by the way, that's last week's episode with Kiara was one of my favorite interviews I've done uh, ever, beyond, and especially on this podcast. Um, so I do encourage you to check it out. It's super interesting. But, um, you know, that's an interesting point. I, I think I'll take issue with this person and say, and really challenge the, the point about, um, writing not being important today, I totally disagree with that. Um, in fact, I've, to me, this is a bigger issue than the ethics of, you know, potential plagiarism and data privacy is I worry, the thing I worry the most about with AI is that we lose our ability as a human race to be able to write and communicate. And um, it's sort of like the, uh, you think about a calculator, like if you, you could argue that we don't need to know math uh, because you have a calculator. Uh, we don't need to learn history because we could just go look it up because if we want to know it. And I think it creates, um, I'm going to be a little harsh on this, but I think it creates a learned laziness. Um, and I think you, you, if it, AI has the potential to make us lazy and to make us less intelligent. 
Um, and I would say that if you have any desire to be in, uh, in digital transformation or consulting or any sort of leadership role, you better know how to write. If you can't write, um, if you can't write, you probably can't communicate well in general. And so far, I don't see it on the horizon. I don't see anything that's going to automate or replace human communication verbally. Um, although there's, there's AI stuff that we talk about in this podcast that you, I could create something that looks like a human uh, communicating, but it's really AI um, creating uh, a fake version of, of a human. So uh, I would challenge that. I'd say I would, you know, if I were in school right now, you know, I would learn, I would try to become a better writer than anyone. Cause if you are a better writer, you're, you're going to, I think you'll dominate because people are getting lazier with writing and it's not even just AI. This started, I think this started back with Twitter and social media. I mean, it, people are, have a short attention span now. They're used to quick, you know, 140 character um, uh, sorts of posts. They're not as interested in reading a 2000 word blog or article as they used to be in my opinion. And I think you were losing a certain amount of intelligence and over time that could degrade the intelligence of the human race. So that would be my biggest, fear. that's my single biggest fear for, for AI. So I totally disagree with that, that person, but thank you for the comments. I don't, I don't mean that disrespectfully. I don't want to discourage, I, I certainly want to encourage people to post their, their points, but as a, as a leader in the consulting industry, that's a dangerous uh, assumption that we don't need to communicate or, or we don't need to write uh, because that's, I totally disagree. Yeah, and definitely. And, and something that we've gone through internally uh, in managing the marketing team is the accuracy, accuracy of utilizing those and really kind of sifting through the dark side of not only what our knowledge base is, but also embracing technology. And just giving an example, I wrote uh, a report for our CSO and I tested it utilizing our AI um, tool tool, excuse me. And I had no knowledge, no expertise around the, the subject and he did. So I sent it to him as kind of a contextual review and he came back to me and said, this is all wrong. This is not correct. This is not, um, and, and not critical of me or our processes, but just as you learn through those, you have to have those health checks to say, is this um, accurate? And is this integrity um, in what we give to our audience? That's our commitment to them. So just, you know, a little add from the, the marketing side. Well, and if you think about organizations and groups of people, let's talk about organizations. I don't. Want, I won't get into too much social stuff. I'll just talk organizations in general. So, organizations in general. Let's just say we, as an organization, we don't um, we don't need or value people that can write because we've got AI, we've got other options. What it does is it creates this normalization and uh, an, an even playing, an even level playing field. When the purpose of at least in the profit sector, uh, for profit sector. The point is, how do you how do you become better than the other organizations? And if we're all just equal because we none of us can can write because we learn not to write because we've got AI, there's no differentiator. So you've got to find those differentiators. And I think in the future, human communication is going to be a huge differentiator. It's even more so than it already is, um, because as people get lazier and as they rely more on AI and as they degrade their own ability to communicate. The people that can, I think those people are going to be in really high demand because they're going to be able to bridge the gaps and, uh, you know, ex extend or validate what AI um, already provides. So that would be my take on it, too. Yeah. And that goes back to that accountability piece and just the understanding of the roles and responsibilities um, of those those types of communicators. But I know you always kind of preach the message that learn those soft skills really, you know, learn that creativity, which comes from something like writing, because in consulting, you, you have to be that chameleon. Um, and you can't rely on a system to spit out 
um, recommendations. That comes from experience um, and overall insight into mm -hmm. the industry. So, so definitely, I mean, great conversation there. Um, when it comes to all of those those different pieces, when we look at things like ChatGPT and um, and content automation systems, and how do they create, you know tone deaf messages throughout organizational change, say if that's an automation, that can lead to a huge business disruption within a digital transformation process if it's not monitored by a human. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. Well, good. Well, thank you for answering our questions. Just as a reminder, if you do have additional questions for Eric, you can go ahead and pop them in the chat wherever you're viewing today, and I will go back and pull them. Um, you can also tweet third stage um, as well um, and follow us on Twitter and I pull those too. So thank you for all of the great insights and questions. And I look forward to kind of go, going into more next week. I pulled one out, but this one is really, we're going to need a minute to discuss that. So stay save tuned. save that for next week. Yeah. So that's a, a good teaser for next week. Be sure, yeah. to, be sure to stay tuned. <laughs> well, good. Well, thank you for those questions and for facilitating that. And thank you to the audience for your ongoing uh, uh, inputs into topics we could be covering here on this show. Um, so uh, we're going to shift gears and talk about, after a break, we're going to talk about digital strategy theory versus reality with Dr. Scott Janke, who is a member of the third stage consulting team in North America. And not only is he a team member, he's actually a senior leader within our consulting group here in North America. Uh, he's a director of strategy, strategy transformation. We're going to talk about some of the um, misconceptions with digital strategies and things you should be thinking about and uh, the disconnects between what sounds good in theory but doesn't translate well into reality and vice versa. And then later in the show, after we finish with Scott, we'll have Andrew Hayes will be on the show talking about digital transformation in education. So stay tuned for that as well. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll, we'll bring Scott into the show. Um, so you're listening to Transformation Ground Control. A man if you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos, and other best practices at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, and Twitter, as well as audio podcasts throughout the world. My name is Eric Kimberling. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. And uh, joining us here uh, in a moment is Dr. Scott Jenke, who is a PhD. Uh, he's a director of strategy and transformation at Third Stage Consulting in our North America office. And he um, actually started off as a consultant, moved into academia, and now has come back to consulting. So very unique uh, perspective and skill set because most people don't work in both. You have academics that don't work in the real world and you have real world people like me that have never worked in academics. So a uh, really unique skill set. And the reason I wanted to have Scott on the show, in addition to just being a smart guy and someone that knows a lot about digital transformation, is he has this unique perspective. And that's something I wanted to really dive in with him is sort of understanding those things that we might learn in textbooks or just through human intuition 
And then when it comes to reality, there's a disconnect and we don't, we don't know how to bridge that gap. So what are those things and pitfalls to be looking for? And as always, we'll take audience questions as well. So, um, so yeah, excited to have Scott on the show. Scott, thanks for being here today. Thank you. Nice. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for being here. So, so tell us a little bit about yourself. I already gave away the secret that you, you have a PhD and you used to be a professor. Um, tell us a little bit about just your background and upbringing here in the whole. Sure. sure. Uh, welcome everyone. Um, I, I actually started my career in consulting. Um, I was one of those uh, big four recruits. Uh, so spent some time with uh, KPMG consulting and Deloitte for a, a while and then kind of spent my uh, probably the next 10, 15 years working in, in business and operational and leadership roles, VP of operations, COO, uh, those kind of roles. Uh, and somewhere in there, I decided that uh, an MBA wasn't enough for me. So I uh, solicited and, and was able to earn uh, my uh, doctorate in IT management uh, while I was still working full time in operations uh, and kind of took that role for a little bit longer, but uh, eventually uh, moved over to academia full time. I was an adjunct faculty member for a while at a couple of different schools and then uh, became a full-time faculty, ran a, a master's program and really uh, focused on the connection that we're talking about today. What is reality versus textbook? Um, and uh, I spoke, uh, I taught both undergraduate and master's students. So I, I got a good swath of, of experience in those classes uh, and then eventually joined uh, third stage consulting as a senior manager. And now I'm uh, one of the directors for the firm. Yep. Great. And I, I've neglected to mention that important fact that your, your role here at third stage is, <laughs> is an elevated one and you're at a senior position here at third stage. So um, thank you for being here today. Yeah. Um, I guess just to start, um, and this is, a, it's one question, but I want to spend a little bit of time on this because I think it's really interesting. Um, but because not many people have walked in both sides of the, the um, uh, in, of your shoes in terms of being in consulting and ec ec academia and uh maybe you can help me today because i cannot talk to save my life so maybe i don't know if uh, your, your academic background can help with that or not <laughs> no worries. But I, I seem to be having a lot of trouble with my words today but uh what are some of the lessons you have from academia versus consulting um on the on the front lines of, of digital transformations like some what are some of the biggest lessons you know yeah you um from that? it's funny that the, the first thing that popped in my head for those who uh, uh remember a comedian called rodney uh, dangerfield uh, he actually uh, had a movie called Back to School. He actually joined his son going to college. Uh, and he had a, a number of hilarious scenes in a classroom where the professor was talking about how it is factually how to do business and run a business. And uh, Rodney Dangerfield was just like, that is not how you do it. You have to do this, this, this. You have to be friendly with the mayor's wife and those kind of things. So uh, <laughs> it's a great movie, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I think that's so, again, the, the, the fact that I, I taught both undergraduate and graduate students uh, we had young folks leaving uh, just out of high school and they had no concept or, or at the time had no concept of what reality is. So it's great to have that foundational perspective. I taught both uh, operations management and project management and kind of soaking in that information in their brain was very relevant to them. Right. They they've heard and seen the lingo and terminology of how how a project, what a project is, how it's run, the, the real world of supply chain management and manufacturing and, and inventory management, those kind of things. Uh, but then you've trans transitioned over to the master's program. Uh, many of them had great experience, but they also never had that textbook education in the area of operations and, and project management. Uh, and it's great to see their eyes light up of what is, what is 
practical methodology and how you go about running a business or running a project and what reality is. And I think without having the textbook knowledge of, of proper in project management, let's say, what is the differences and what are the components of waterfall versus agile? You won't know once you get into project, what is correct way to run a project? What is it? Mm-hmm. Um, we deal with a lot of uh, uh, companies that uh, have system integrators that go to a hybrid approach. Uh, and that's that's fair game to kind of mix and match wherever you go, right? But without understanding the, the academic side, the textbook uh, way of how to run a project, you won't know really when you're getting far off the railroad tracks or when you're just kind of taking a little hop over. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as uh, a director at Third Stage Consulting, many of our projects, uh, we get called in to do an assessment halfway through an engagement. And we see that. We see that there's not a, a clear understanding of how they're running a project um, and it trips them up. And we typically call um, call them on the mat, so to speak, and uh, things get righted. But I think not understanding the proper functional way to run a project or run a business, once you get into real world, there's all kinds of messiness. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we're probably going to talk about that uh, some more today, but it's the reality of the real world that gets messy. So again, without understanding the baseline uh, technical methodology of how to have a proper supply chain management uh, program or systems in place, you won't know whether you're doing it right or wrong. Right. Uh, and usually you're like, well, I'm not making as much money as my competitor, but you don't know how to peel back the layers and figure that out. So I think having both is a nice balance of, of being able to answer questions, give directions, manage a team because you understand when you're kind of being that renegade and when you're kind of following the, the tried and true principles of, of many of these areas, these organizations call us up for. Right. Yeah. I have a uh, sort of a follow-up question that's slightly off track, but it it's relevant because I get the question a lot. And, and that is based on everything you just said, if, if I'm a, um, say I'm earlier in my career and I'm thinking about getting into digital transformation, either consulting or I want to be a CIO someday or I want to lead a project or, or whatever. I, I want to be involved in di- digital transformations. Do you recommend um, sort of higher education? I mean, how much does higher education help with that baseline foundation that you're talking about? Well, I'm, obviously, I, I, I enjoy and, and support education. Um, uh, I have certificates as well, uh, but you don't have to necessarily go to a formal uh educational uh, institution. Um, it's more about learning and, and capturing that information. So there's all kinds of, of great programs you can, you can have online. Uh, but quite honestly, I, I've seen more trends for organizations bringing in uh, folks like us uh, to kind of educate their team on the proper way of doing whatever they've called us in to do. Uh, and that to me is education. Uh, so I think there are very, very smart people out there who don't even have an undergraduate who can run circles around their competitors. Right. Uh, but those are rare and, and far between. So I, I would encourage everyone who doesn't have formal education or certificates or understanding around what their job descriptions really are covering uh, to seek out that kind of education. You can do it on your own. You can do it formal. Uh, but now with all the online uh, capabilities of educational uh, uh groups, it should not be a problem. And, and I highly encourage you to make the effort uh, to do that on the weekends on the, on the, at late at night, I did that during my doctorate. So, um, and it's obviously been worthwhile for me to do that um, in the past. Right. Yeah. I remember when I was 
getting my master's degree and, and undergraduate too, but I remember really appreciating the professors that had obviously an academic background, but to me, more importantly, the, the real world experience that they could sort of fuse together. So I, I think that's, uh, you're, you're one of those professors I would have enjoyed having back, uh, back in the day when I was in school for certain. I, I will add one more thing to that. Um, there, it's amazing how many clients that I've worked with where the tenure of the folks that we engage with is quite high. You know, the 20 to 30 year uh, tenure at these companies. I think that's rare. Uh, and yeah. one thing that education does give to you is the ability to adapt possibly more easily to go to a different industry, to go to a different company, to go into different uh, verticals, right? So I think having the knowledge of, of the foundation of education around supply chain management, operations, inventory management, just running a business allows you to move from uh, tire wholesaling to technical uh, uh, equipment distribution, right? So that that capability, I think, enables you to, to do such a thing. Um, whereas if you just have long tenure within a single company, it might be more challenging if that's the only experience and lack of formal education or, or certificates that are going to possibly give you a little bit of a roadblock if you wanted to change. Right, right. Yeah, it makes total sense. I'm just turning to our audience here real quickly. I want to thank everyone who dropped in the chat where they're from today. Um, we've got people joining from all over the world, as I mentioned, um, everywhere from Mexico, Saudi Arabia, Irvine, which I assume is Irvine, California, but not 100% certain, but wherever in Irvine, whichever Irvine you're from, thank you for being here, uh, Hanel. Uh, Craig Adams from Hereford, UK. Um, Amit from New Delhi, India. Sam Graham from uh, Spain. We've got someone from India, Denver, Colorado, Germany, uh, Karachi, Pakistan. So Very Stockholm, nice. Sweden, everywhere. So we've got people all over the place, random times of day and night. So thank you for joining here uh, today. Um, and I'd love to see in the chat as I as I continue some of my questions here for for Scott. I'd love to hear in the chat here your thoughts on what you think the biggest uh, disconnects are between strategy and reality. You know, what are those things that when you entered the digital transformation space, you sort of thought or had been taught, but then you learned to be um, you you learned to find that it was something different. I'd love to hear the comments from the audience here. So just drop that in the chat if you don't mind. And I'm actually going to ask Scott that same question when when as you've sort of looked at your experience in academia and. Uh, on the consulting side, uh, sort of the frontline consulting side of things, what are some of the disconnects that you've seen in terms of just, you know, what what looks good on textbooked that doesn't necessarily translate into reality or vice versa? What are some of those things that, that come to mind? Yeah, I think, you know, we say we do quite a few uh, uh, system selections, enterprise system selections, and uh, uh, we, we stress, obviously, the functionality in those systems and the the alignment with the requirements the company needs to have for the next 20 years. Uh, but believe it or not, the, the technology, as we, we generally say, kind of in hallway conversations, will take care of itself. You can implement technology. You can go live with new uh, point solutions, fringe applications, or whatever you want to describe that. It's really the, the messiness comes in the actual organization itself. Mm. So the, the human side of business, uh, people's attitudes. There are folks that are new in their career. There are folks that are retiring, right? So how they're actually going to enable this wonderful goal of digital transformation tends to get off the rails. I'll use that uh, term quite often, I think, today, uh, because they haven't, the organization itself hasn't really understood the impact, the ecosystem around the technology is actually how much of an impact that has on, on the, the fruitfulness of, of these systems. Um, it's not it's not uncommon to see a very large organization spend, you know, 250, 300 million dollars on a five year program to 
revamp their systems, that's great. But if you have the same workforce that you had five years ago and you kind of treat that as, well, they'll just use the new systems when we go live is such short sightedness in this process. And quite honestly, um, uh, my dissertation is in the acceptance of technology in the workplace. So uh, the, the go live literally is just maybe 25 percent of the road map of, of an in enterprise uh, or digital transformation. So making sure that you have encouragement, training, support, because uh, a lot of times that uh, gets messy as well as the uh, organizations use these massive enterprise implementations to change processes and job roles as well. And so the workforce isn't just learning a new system. Their whole world potentially is getting thrown up in the air and kind of landing on, on, a, on a new direction. So making sure that you keep that at the forefront at the beginning of the, of the project and all the way through the next upgrade or the next replacement. Um, you go through a digital transformation. It's not a single point in time. Um, right. So more of an ongoing journey. Absolutely. And, and if you want to optimize business benefits, it's certainly something you need to spend the time even after go live to absolutely really fine tune that it. And it reminds me of another thing you already mentioned uh, earlier in this discussion, which was the agile versus waterfall. Um, to me, that's another disconnect. I don't know if it's necessarily an academic versus consulting disconnect, but I think it's just a disconnect in sort of, we'll call it a disconnect between human intuition versus reality, which is human intuition would suggest that agile is a great thing because you move fast, it's nimble, you're going to get value faster. But everything you're just you're just describing um, suggests that, you know, there's a there's a balance that needs to happen between speed and, and getting stuff done, but also recognizing that you have highly tenured people, your organization has been around for however long it's been around and changing that just takes time and you need to invest that time to, to move the needle versus just putting technology in as fast as you can. And I think that's a that's another, in my opinion, disconnect. I don't know if in academia, if that's something that they teach is that agile approach or if that's sort of a, in vogue in the academic world as well. I think it's a, a believe it or not, I think it's a generational thing. Mm. Um, so all the, the undergraduates that were in my classes uh, love this concept of agile, right? They, they, that's the new thing. But quite honestly, when you, when you, people don't realize that, that there's a disconnect there, that um, agile is, was originally for creating kind of one-off apps and those kind of, let's say you want to do a, an enhancement to an iPhone app, right? You can do an agile project for do that. But going through a, replacing your finance and accounting applications, your inventory management, it can't be so so neutral in the sense of lack of documentation and lack of formal uh, stage gates to the process. And so what we see in these imp uh, implementations when we called in to come in for assessment uh, is a lot of companies start, a lot of system integrators start with formal kind of waterfall approach. They have a, a, a business requirements, they have a technical design document, they have a project charter potentially, but then throughout this year long plus project, they tend to kind of naturally gravitate towards an agile like approach because it's easier from a documentation standpoint. Mm. But then as we get nearer to the truly a, a formal testing cycle and training, we start seeing those disconnects of what we talked about a year ago, 16 months ago, isn't really in reality what I'm seeing now, right? Uh, right. Because they just naturally go to an easier path, potentially, as you mentioned, to go faster, but a lot of times just easier. Uh, and staying rigid and having that PMO guidance is, is so important uh, because you don't want to spend 20, 30, 40 million dollars on the implementation and that training or testing. You realize you've gone off those tracks. 
Right, right. I, I don't know why I just thought of this, but 15 years ago, maybe I, I worked with a, uh, a project manager who um, he was actually part of a, a, he was a contractor that worked for one of my clients. And uh, I remember him, he was an older gentleman, you know, later in his career, he'd been doing this forever, you know, doing this for a long time. And I remember him uh, saying, I, I remember talking to him about a project plan saying, you know, let's see the project plan for this particular client and what, what are the milestones? And he just, he just looked at me and said, Eric, all I need to manage this project. And he, and he pulls out like a little uh, notepad, like a little tiny notepad. And said, it's all right here. And I said, well, what's in there? And he said, and he, he opens it up and it's just sort of like to do's. It's like just stuff that you need to get done. And so I don't know why that, what you just said reminded me of that example of how, you know, sometimes you, you know, lack of discipline is what people want and they, they take pride in the gunslinging approach and moving fast and getting stuff done, getting technology out there quickly they don't look at the bigger picture of, well, are you really transforming the business? Are you really getting business value? Are you really standardizing your business or reengineering your processes the way you want? And I think that piece of it is oftentimes what gets lost in the whole agile discussion as well. Yeah. And I think we, we, we talk about kind of the formal PMO process of how projects are selected in the first place, right? What's the business case? What's the business genesis of why you're even bringing this project to the, to the executive team for approval. You know, what's the benefit? What's the big wow? What's the, what's the change that's going to uh, help implement? Uh, and companies, I think, once they get the project gets approved and the budget's been approved, they don't actually manage what the original business case was throughout the project to after go live. Mm. Because by the time they go live, and let's say you will need six months to a year of stabilization to see any potential value from that project, they're on to the next 30 projects. And so they, I think organizations that think that these projects are going to transform their business in reality are just a point of project management. And now they're on to the next thing. They don't actually cohesively look at the full picture, uh, including, again, the, the, the people and the processes associated with it. Um, a lot of companies today say I'm or a lot of uh, uh, a lot of our clients say, um, we want, we've gotten, uh, our legacy systems are very uh, customized. They're very unique and they've been in our, our world for, you know, 20, 30 years. And so we want to go to an enterprise solution and just, just use out of the box functionality, which means we will use whatever processes they have built in the system uh, as our processes going forward. But again, the technology part of an organization is just a component. And there's right. a lot of other still manual disconnected processes. And if you're actually going to go through a transformation, it's that teaming up between IT and the business that needs to be, again, that consistent thread throughout this whole thing. Um, right. We've helped a, a client look at these value indicators throughout the implementation. So taking these long-term benefits of a project or transformation uh, effort uh, and breaking that down to, can I realize value even during the project? So, mm -hmm. Instead of waiting until you go live for formal training and change management activities and process updates, you can start communicating and, and educating your teams throughout this implementation. So by the time they get to go live, they've been well versed of how to use a system, how the process is going to change and why you're doing this project in the first place. Right. It, it amazes me how many uh, individuals we work with on projects that those like, well, I know our legacy is old, so we're just replacing it. That's missing right. the point of why you go through something massive like this is you want to become better than you were. Uh, and yeah. they just haven't been coached on that. They haven't been communicated in that, in that light. Yeah, it's a great point. And it, it seems like uh, what you just said, uh, as far as 
wanting to go through a digital transformation because you want to replace legacy systems. That seems to be an increasingly common reason or an increasing, increasingly number one reason why organizations go through these projects. And it, it certainly is a good reason, of course, but to your point, it's not the end all be all. I mean, if you're just doing a digital transformation because you have to, or because your old systems are outdated and that's sort of your, your vision statement, that's, you're just, it's just not going to go well. You're going to spend a lot of time and money on an implementation that ends up paving the cow paths and, and putting in a, a system to automate pretty much what you're already doing. So if you really want to get, get business value and get an ROI out of that investment, I, I agree with you. I think you, you need to have a bigger, clear vision of where it is you're headed with, with yep. the project. Yep, absolutely. We're here with Scott Jenke from Third Stage Consulting talking about digital strategy theory versus reality. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Scott Janke from Third Stage Consulting talking about digital strategy, theory, and reality. Here's an interesting uh, audience uh, comment here that I want to maybe turn it into a question. This is from Melissa, who, by the way, already has a, another question that's a really good one that I'm going to get to in a moment. So Melissa's already on a roll here with some of her questions. But Melissa on LinkedIn says, the people involved in, in the digital transformation don't always have the level of expertise or sometimes attitude um, they need to have. Um, it sort of raises a question in my mind, which, first of all, I agree with you, Melissa. I, I agree that um, you know people involved in transformation don't always have the right expertise or the attitudes. But I guess that begs a question of what are some of those intangible attitudes or maybe just broadening a little bit intangible skills that a digital transformation team needs to have that isn't necessarily something you learn in textbooks or that you learn in the world of academia or even a, a certification program or whatever. What are, what are some of those soft skills? You know, I, I was, I don't know where I heard this before, but I, I think um, both being inquisitive, uh, which is something that I've had and why I sought out a, a doctorate, you know, halfway, more than halfway through my career, uh, but also this kind of servant mentality. Mm. Um, we find project teams that maybe a couple of consulting uh, uh, FTEs, uh, full-time equivalent kind of people, uh, and let's say six company employees as part of a, a certain work stream. They, they typically have this attitude, and I don't necessarily know why, maybe it's just a, a leadership perspective for, for, that they've had for a couple of decades, but they want to stay in their lane. Hmm. They, they, I, am, I am accounting, and this is, I'm only going to think about accounting. I'm, I'm supply chain. This is the only thing I want to know. And not having that servant slash inquisitive kind of perspective. And again, 
formal education isn't a determination of whether you're smart or not. So I'm assuming most folks that have been hired by our clients are smart people. Right. But they just seem to have either a, a direction by their supervisor or it's just their nature by itself is that they never really figure out where things fit together mm. and, and why a different group is doing something in this area. And not even asking that question even prior to the project is, is troublesome because you know that's going to be a challenge of you and the organization throughout the implementation or other activities that, that the organization is doing to, to make people care that there's a full stream here. Um, I, I tell this to, to new clients, one of the things that we do typically in the first couple of weeks of a project, um, and this is, this is even outside of third stage, all my consulting uh, engagements in the past. After a kickoff, we do kind of a workshop and we bring people from different disciplines within the, in the, in the organization together. And it never, never fails to surprise me when people talk about these end-to-end processes of I have a purchasing need. How does it come into a warehouse? How does it get assigned to a, a job? And how does it get leave the warehouse or go to the client? People learn things that have been working there for decades. Hmm. They, they realize that some work they're doing that they think somebody downstream is using isn't being used. Or some process has already been fixed and they thought it was broken still today. So it's, it's, it's disappointing, but it's encouraging at the same time that even on these projects, people are learning how the, the picture works together. And I think right. that's one thing that, that can be instilled in an organization way before any kind of massive project gets started is to have some of those thought processes. We routinely ask for a, a litany of, of documents, process flows, work, job descriptions, all these things. It is amazing to me how many large companies don't have anything documented about how the picture looks. Right. Because people just get hired, they work in their group and that's how it is. And, and it's, it's really interesting that it, it takes a, a big project for them to start thinking and building out a process uh, by department, by end to end, when people start kind of realizing why the project is starting in the first place, because they have lots of disconnects uh, or why this is going to make you more competitive advantage in your marketplace versus just being as is. So just that right. inquisitive kind of servant mentality of, of roll up your sleeves and get get your hands dirty, I think is a, a great sign of of the culture of an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And overcoming that tribal knowledge and and um collectively or consolidating that tribal knowledge, documenting it, making it more of a um a formalized process. I think that's something that you you touched on too, which uh is one of the benefits of going through a digital transformation. Even if you you rely on tribal knowledge now. Um, or especially if you rely on tribal knowledge now it's even more important to document your processes and define yep. what that future state yep. is very clearly for, for certain, which again, runs a little bit counter to agile approaches. Agile yep. would suggest, well, let's not worry about documenting future state. Let's just build something, get it out there, test it, let people respond to it. Then we'll tweak it however we need to. And that's, you know, so those are two different approaches that, that are in conflict oftentimes. Um, yeah, and I'll even make a, a bold statement and say that uh, a full um, uh, agile project to implement an enterprise solution will not and will never work. Hmm. Um, there is just it's too big, too expensive, lots of moving parts uh, for it to clearly have these approvals throughout the process, these stage gates, as well as, to your point, the formal documentation. Uh, yeah. You forego that and then Five years later, you want to do an enhancement to it or, or bolt something onto it. And, and all you have to do is rely on how the system's operating today as your only source of how it was built. 
um, you're going to be, you're going to be kind of guessing of how to move forward. Correct. So, yeah. Absolutely. Something else you mentioned too, is you talked about, I'll paraphrase what you said, but you talked about the uh, specialization of consultants and, and uh, disciplinary functions. Like uh, when you look at a digital transformation, there's all these different areas of specialization that you need to bring to the table. You have, uh, you need project managers, you need change managers, you need functional consultants, technical consultants, you need process type people, um, obviously developers and people that can do the, the hands-on configuration, all that stuff requires a bit of specialization, but to your point, pulling together all those pieces into a cohesive strategy and, and looking at the entire big picture. That's to me, I agree with what you said there. I think that's one of the biggest things that are missing from digital transformations. And one of the biggest reasons why transformations fails because you don't have that big picture view of how it all ties together. And when we look at our um, digital strategy framework, the, the framework that we use in helping our clients define their digital strategies, it's, it's designed to pull together all of those pieces as well as our implementation methodology too. But I think the problem is, is, you know, organization doesn't have the skill set or the expertise to do a transformation on their own, which is very common and understandable. So they end up hiring consultants and system integrators to come in and do it for them. But no one oftentimes is looking at that big picture of how it all ties together. How is this aligned with our corporate strategy? Where there is a misalignment? What are we going to do about it? And just working through all those different pieces, it, it seems to be something that's commonly missing in, in these sorts of projects. Yeah, you, you, you hit upon something that I was going to mention if you didn't, uh, is, is, you know, organizations routinely revisit their mission statement, their strategy, their goal, core uh, beliefs uh, on a regular basis. Obviously, if you're a public company, uh, you're almost forced to do that on at least annually with an annual report. Uh, but I think they still look at improvements to their operations as just projects. Mm. Uh, and they don't sit there and align all the activities that are part of our framework around change management, process enhancements, um, uh, architectural landscape, uh, true formal PMO guidance, along with what the business leaders are doing from a strategy perspective and market penetration and all that kind of stuff. They, they kind of say, I want to go in this direction. Oh, I need this tool. So they go after the tool, but they don't kind of bring it back again of, are you achieving what you wanted to from a business perspective? Um, I think right. very few technology deployments are truly just an IT function, right? Everything that gets introduced to an organization is a business application. Um, right. And I think a lot of the, the newer, younger CIOs are really grabbing hold of that, uh, but it hasn't filtered down. Uh, right. And it becomes, well, finance is fighting with the IT group for something, right? Uh, with, and it's, if it's a small thing, I understand that. But if it's a kind of a function of this transformation and the strategy going forward, that needs to become much more of like, how can I help you? How can I help you? Versus, well, that's a different budget. Go get money somewhere else kind of thing. And they've lost the fact that you're not in sync as an organization from an IT perspective and a business operations perspective. Right. Yeah. Makes, makes perfect sense. Um, just a couple other uh, comments and questions here from the audience. Um, Hanel on LinkedIn, who confirmed that he is indeed from Irvine, California, not Irvine in another uh, place, um, makes a comment here. Change management is a must and cross-functional experience for involvement, which is a, a great point. And, and I agree with that. Let's come back to that change management point here in a minute, because um, that's that's really important. And it's hard to have any conversation about transformation, especially with me, uh, without getting into the topic of change management. Uh, comment here from a wall on LinkedIn. Will this meeting be recorded? It's so insightful. Thank you for the kind words. And yes, it will be recorded. It is being recorded. 
and uh, you can find it, whatever platform you're watching on, it's going to stay there even after the fact. So you can go back to wherever you're watching on LinkedIn. In this case, you can watch it there or go to my YouTube channel and you can uh, find it under, under the live tab there. It's a live discussion. So you can go to the live videos and you'll find it there. Um, question though, from Sam Graham on LinkedIn, this is a really interesting question. I'd be curious to get your knee-jerk reaction to this, Scott. And that is, is it occasionally helpful to have unrealistic academics pushing the envelope? And first of all, I guess it's, it's uh, let's assume that academics are unrealistic. Uh, I didn't want to say it out loud, but since you did, uh, you know, let's suggest that academics are, are unreal, unrealistic, especially the ones that don't have the hands-on experience like you do, Scott. But do you think it's helpful to take some of the some of these concepts that sound good in theory, but don't always translate into reality. Is it, is it good to have a certain level of that to sort of push the boundaries and maybe, you know, sort of lead the charge into pushing us into something that might become realistic over time? Well, if, if anyone has uh, taken uh, organizational behavior as a course uh, anytime in the last 15 years, you understand that, or you should know that a small amount of chaos is good for, mm -hmm. for team transformation. So, uh, if I'm if I'm interpreting that question correctly or statement, um, do you is it worthwhile to have kind of a, a little bit of a, a, a angst or a push in an organization just to see what the organization is able to to adapt and move forward towards? Um, you know, you may not want to do that wholesale on your operations, but maybe um, one of these uh, point solutions or, or focus areas of, of how do I create a dynamic growth in our customer count or something like that and kind of figuring out an understanding from a psychological perspective, how do I embrace more, more uh, prospects into customers? I, I think it's, it's worthwhile. I think there's so many companies that unless you're in a, a Silicon Valley type company, uh, it is kind of a tried and true process. And it's mm -hmm. not until uh, M&A activity takes place and it kind of makes you look at a new business you hired like, wow, that's pretty innovative what they're doing. Or you realize you're losing market share and market uh, uh, representation because you're, your competitors are doing something new. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think in a, in a, in a knee-jerk reaction, yes, I think it's, it's helpful to kind of implement or bring, introduce some concepts and ideas into the organization just to see if it kind of rattles the cages a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, but one of the things that we call out to um, our clients on you know, the top 10, top 13 uh, reasons uh, uh, digital transformations fail uh, is, is trying too much too fast. Right. And and you don't want to have anything close to what I would call business disruption. So as long as you can kind of introduce some kind of nouveau kind of concept and see if the team can kind of push forward with that. Uh, obviously, things like, you know, Six Sigma and those kind of aspects of, of process improvement were kind of cutting edge at the time. Right. right. Trying to measure at the, the minute level to see if there's some quality enhancements that can improvements that can be made. So I think I agree that there needs to be something, but it needs to be controlled and it can't be such a one off that it, it, it consumes organizations resources just to have a, a fun little project going on. So, yes, but it has to line up with the digital framework that, that we talk about uh, throughout this, this call is that it has to fit for a reason. Um, right. So I think, yes, but carefully monitored, I think uh, is probably the best way I can describe it. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. And I think just to add to that, one of the challenges with our industry is that we're, we're all about um, trends and buzzwords and and new ideas, which is great. You know, we, we need to constantly innovate and look at, you know, what hasn't worked in the past, what hasn't worked in the past and how can we improve that going forward. But if you look at some of the trends in the marketplace, the problem is that 
we tend to, you know, this industry tends to double down on new ideas before it's tested or before people fully understand the fallout from it. And they're oftentimes investing their careers and their organizational success on this unproven idea. And I'll give you a couple of examples that I think might be controversial. One we've already talked about, which is Agile. You know, Agile became pretty quickly became a pretty hot thing. It became a, a, a sort of a, a reaction to some of the problems with digital transformations and ERP implementations, which is they take too long, they're bloated, they cost too much money, it takes too long to see the value. So Agile came along as a way to, hey, let's let's fix that problem by doing things really fast and getting business value faster. But all it did is it just created a whole set of new problems and organizations don't still don't fully understand that until they double down and go all in on this concept of Agile and then realize, oops, that's here are all these problems now that we didn't anticipate. Another one is a real, even simpler, more fundamental one is cloud. You know, look at cloud solutions and the way vendors have moved so quickly from on-prem to cloud. And I'm not here to suggest that cloud is any worse or better than, than on-prem. Um, but what I will say is organizations and specifically the vendors, the software vendor community went so hard and pushed so fast into cloud that organizations didn't realize that they were getting incomplete products and products that just weren't mature enough to handle their basic operations. And we still see that even now with a lot of cloud providers, especially the, the legacy. I'm talking more about the legacy vendors that had on-prem solutions that they're mm -hmm. moving to cloud. This comment does not necessarily apply to like the net suites or the sales forces or the work days of the world that started off in the cloud, right. always in the cloud. So, you know, you look, those are two things, agile and cloud where people just don't fully recognize the risks and they think it's a, you know, it's a big trend, it's a big buzzword, it's a hot thing, and they just double down and go all in on these concepts without understanding those those uh, fallouts. You bring up a good point, and this kind of goes back to this global uh, concept of, of digital transformation that it's not one and done, right? It's ongoing. Yeah. Strategy yeah. alignment with digital transformation is ongoing, period. Um, is the fact that so many companies, when we go through these selections, still want on-prem, to your point, um, but, but their reasoning is, is old because it's still that, well, I feel safer that our application is in the server room down the hallway. But again, very focused on an IT thing and, and right. potentially risk mitigation. But from an overall perspective, pick the right solution and the right hosting because it fits with your long-term digital transformation. Not because it, it just feels safer doesn't resonate with me. There has to be a fundamental reason of last time we went to cloud, we got burned. We're only doing on-prem. I get it now. Right. But right. It, it's still every decision in a, in a system selection. And one of the things that we talk about is uh, the, the, the transition of all these point solutions to a single ERP platform is now a ERP platform with some still some fringe applications. Right. Organizations are learning that putting all your eggs in one basket isn't necessarily the best thing for them to reach their market and to grow. Uh, and so, but they have to have that concept so that you have uh, flexibility no matter which path that you have. Because uh, I do know that uh, organizations that kind of put, again, all their eggs in one basket, they're going down one path, um, have created inflexibility in being able to adopt to changes in the marketplace to their workforce and their competitive landscape. Uh, so having flexibility throughout this process and, and why you're making these decisions, not because we did it in the past, but why will it be better for us in the future? And it's amazing. Some of these small little things 
come up when we have problems in a, in a large project. It's just the little things of making that alignment work will solve a lot of these, these obstacles uh, and without getting them too far. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it, as you talk about alignment and actually, I think there's a, there's a couple comments I saw in the, the, the feed here, the chat um, about alignment as well. But when you talk about alignment and then getting back to the question of canned, can unrealistic academics push the boundaries of what digital transformation can or should be? Um, one thing that comes to mind, especially putting the two together, the the question, that question, along with what you said about alignment, it reminds me of other academic concepts that can really benefit digital transformation. And one in particular that comes to mind as we talk about alignment is um, McKinsey's 7S model. Um, when you look at something like McKinsey's 7S model, if you if you don't know what it is, it's a I have a whole video on it, actually, on my YouTube channel. If you just search McKinsey, you'll find it uh, on there. But it's basically it's system, strategy, shared values. I can't remember all seven of them, but there's basically seven S's, and you have to make sure they're all aligned. And if you're not aligned, it creates friction in the organization, it creates problems. And I think that's a good example of something that wasn't – that was a framework that was not designed or intended necessarily for digital transformation. But if you apply that sort of a model, which is very academic – you take that model and you apply it to a digital transformation, it can be very powerful. So it's not necessarily a, you know, unrealistic model that's pushing the boundaries of digital transformation intentionally, but it's, it is an academic model that I think can, can absolutely benefit. Even, uh, yeah, even, even some of these uh, old kind of comparison evaluation tools like um, um, uh, balanced scorecard or SWOT yeah. analysis, believe it or not, it's still relevant. Yeah, totally. um, and at least on the projects that I go through, I, I add those to our intro deck of where mm. do we think your company is, but more importantly, where what are the SWATs, what are the, the areas of concern and opportunities in this project, right? Get them out in front. Um, and I almost always include the company's mission statement or core values in those kind of assessments as well, because this project must fit in that. Right. Um, and, and without having that connection along the way, when... And by the way, let's just be frank that uh, uh, ERP implementations are notoriously difficult. Um, mm -hmm. And so when when it becomes challenging halfway through and you've already spent millions of dollars, that's not the time to start realizing where this project fits in the big picture. That's right up front throughout the process. Uh, and I think a couple of comments in there of you know, change management really is the key to a successful launch and use of tools. Uh, and getting that started way up front is is something that most companies just ignore and they wait until the very end. Right. Um, people will make it successful or people will make it a failure. Um, right. The technology will usually work. Yeah. So, it's easier to find a way to make the technology work than it is yep. to find a way yep. for the to work. We're here with Scott Jenke from Third Stage Consulting talking about digital strategy theory versus reality. We've got a lot more to cover, but first we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. If you are involved in any sort of digital transformation or business change initiative, you will want to download the 2021 Digital Transformation Report. With its comprehensive overview of business and technology trends and best practices, this report is a must-have guide for any transformation project or executive team. Download this free report by visiting Third Stage Consulting at thirdstage-consulting.com. You can also visit our website to learn more about us or download independent reports, videos, and other best practices. Again, visit thirdstage-consulting.com today to learn how to take your transformation to the third stage of success. Today, just one day I 
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. My name is Eric Kimberling. You can find new episodes of the show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. We're here with Scott Janke from Third Stage Consulting, talking about digital strategy, theory, and reality. Here's a, a comment and question that I'm going to integrate or fuse together with with uh, mine, or it's a comment that I'll, I'll turn into one of my questions, which is from uh, Ubaid on LinkedIn, says, idea of transformation should be clearer. Often corporate strategy doesn't truly translate down. And that leads me to a question that um, I wanted to ask you, Scott, which is how can organizations ensure that their digital strategies are aligned with their overarching business strategy? And because that's oftentimes a disconnect back to your point earlier about if your reason for implementing new technology is because you want to replace legacy systems, you're highly likely, if, if that's the extent of your vision or the extent of your justification, you're highly likely to experience disconnect between strategy and, and, and reality and digital strategy versus business strategy. So how do you how do you find or how do we third stage and some with some of our clients, how have we found ways to to ensure that you've got that alignment between what your digital strategy is? And what your overall corporate or business strategy is. Yeah, and I will agree that the, the C-suite uh, will sit around and shake their head, you know, shake hands, and, and everyone agrees on on alignment, but it never trickles down. Uh, right. So it, it's great when we have the opportunity to talk to middle management. And one of the things we do in our, our projects uh, quite often is a, a survey, is a organizational readiness assessment, and it is surprising uh, the disconnect from senior leadership to middle management to the, the boots on the ground. Um, and that is something we, we usually do right up front, uh, including a, an executive strategy workshop where we actually talk about their goals and objectives and what's stopping them from achieving that. Um, it's, it is something that is concerning. And when we give light to that, uh, that's when that, that those light bulbs go off on the change management, right? What is the motivation for us to go down this path? So, uh, we have a, a number of companies uh, right now that are simply replacing a legacy system because it's at end of life, uh, mm -hmm. not long, no longer supported, highly customized. Now they're searching at it. When we have that executive workshop where we do those surveys, it's amazing that they're not leveraging the fact that they're going to go through an ERP implementation to get that alignment, to understand the business justification that you're able to get out of that implementation. They're simply looking at it, to your point. We have an old system we have to replace. And I don't know if that's lack of education, lack of understanding of what's happening in the marketplace, uh, but that is one of those areas where consultants can help in kind of exposing them to what competitors are doing, what's the industry standards going forward, and what are the things you should get out of a big uh, implementation, especially around ERP, and how that fits in potentially with your strategy. So I, even though I've been a consultant for most of my life, not all of it, um, uh, I will say that there are value adds that consultants bring to an organization, uh, especially around this, this idea and why we start these projects up front with the surveys and the executive workshops is we want to understand truly is, is, is one hand not knowing what that right hand is doing. Um, right. And that becomes pretty evident for somebody that isn't in, uh, new to the company, that there's some challenges there before you get too further down, uh, down the road. Yeah, Absolutely. I totally agree with that. And as well said, and as a follow-up comment here onto what you just said, Scott, and this is from Melissa on LinkedIn. Melissa says, the reality is also that the consulting firm can't change your business processes and your people. You can't rely on the consulting, uh, you can't rely on the consulting firm and just the technology to make the digital transformation successful. The company must commit their people and time. 
I think this is a great comment that sort of puts a bow on what you just said, which is, yes, you need, you know, you need that focus on business processes and changing people. And certainly consultants like third stage can help do that. But ultimately your organization and your leadership has to be on board and they have to be the, the faces of the change in your organization. People yeah. within your organization need to be those faces of change as well. Yeah. And I'll add one more thing there that uh, we we usually, or maybe it's just I, uh, usually push back on clients that want to have one representative from a, a functional area be part of a, a work stream as we go through requirements and implementation. Um, we usually almost expect and demand that there are multiple people that are part of the project uh, just for that knowledge sharing, which is key. But we also like to put people in, in a, a leadership role on our projects, meaning if, if I'm uh, being responsible for the inventory management track and looking at warehouse management and, and, and shipping solutions and the requirements around that, I'd rather have a, an employee be the, the point person of that work stream, even if I do all the work. I want them to own this for their department and not a consultant who comes in at the last minute, we try and do some knowledge transfer and then we're gone. Uh, so putting your employees and your staff in leadership roles on the projects help kind of gain that visibility that it's not an IT or a consulting project. It really is a business transformation, digital transformation effort. Right. Absolutely. Um, there's another question here that comes back to uh, something you said about uh, Lean Six Sigma. This is from William on YouTube. William says, how do you view Lean Six Sigma in today's environment? And you mentioned that earlier as a, as a um, sort of a framework that that you've seen applied, and we we see it a lot in the corporate world. We still see it a lot in the corporate world. How do you view that in today's environment? Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of lump that into to other types of methodologies for improvement. Um, it will throw everything. I'll throw in waterfall and, and agile in there. I'll throw in uh, Six Sigma, lean lean manufacturing, all those kind of concepts and and, and methodologies is most of most companies aren't so large that they can really have formal areas of, of focus on some of those areas or methodologies. I'd rather say that it's important for everyone to understand what they entail and to implement portions of them where appropriate. So if, if the idea is that we want to become more efficient and more effective in our operations and our achievement towards revenue and market share, what are the various methodologies out there that we can improve our operations? So it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal program that you implement company-wide or in certain areas. You can, you can cherry pick some of the areas of these methodologies and employ them to see if they work. Um, again, I think it's one of those things where people like to hire people with certifications in these areas, but they don't really drink the Kool-Aid, so to speak, of company-wide. So uh, Mr. Welsh, who was famous for Six Sigma at uh, GE, I mean, that was a company philosophy. Mm. Uh, it's so hard to take that and go to a private company that has $50 million in revenue and make them act like GE, right? But right. you can have components of those get implemented on simply improving the pr productivity of your operations. There are things you can, you can embed along the way. Um, very few companies these days are bloated with, with workforce. So they're pretty lean on headcount um, and are getting leaner as everyone's seen some of the layoffs. So it's not like you can take a program and implement it company-wide. Once you start with some of the components of, of improvement, process improvement, operation efficiencies and effectiveness, those kind of things, 
uh, and do almost like a, a trial and error to see whether that's something that actually gains traction. Because almost all right. those philosophies still rely on people to do it effectively. And right. if you're forcing somebody to go to a offsite uh, workshop to become certified and come back and deploy it to your company, unless your managers care about that, it won't happen. Right. So right. it has to be a philosophy within a department or more likely a, a company to, to really grab hold. Right. Right. Now I just realized I have completely lost track of time here. Um, how, do you have a few more minutes? I didn't ask you at the beginning of this conversation. Yeah. What your timeline. Okay. Yeah. I've just got a few more questions. I want to make sure we get sure. to as we, uh, wind down the conversation here, but, um, these are really important ones too. So, um, and thank you for all the great questions on, on the stream too. Those, those have been awesome discussion points. Um, but one question I want to ask is what do you think if we sort of back up and, and try to tie this all together, everything we've been talking about so far, what do you think some of the biggest and most important components of a digital strategy are? So in other words, when we think about our digital strategy, what are the most important pieces that we should really focus on and make sure is part of that digital strategy? Um, I think we talked about it a, a couple of times in here, but, but why, right? Why are you even bringing this up or having a concept or why are you initiating something and making sure that you understand the implications of going down a, a path or not? So, so that whole alignment, I, I think we're, we're stressing that pretty hard and, and it's because it's so important is that mm -hmm. the, the tactical stuff we can get done, but unless there's a, a purpose and a reason why, when when it hits the fan, so to speak, um, you're going to give up. The organization will stop. They'll they'll do the the short end around to make it finish, make the project or the the effort finish earlier than maybe planned, just to be done with it. Um, this is not an easy or inexpensive effort. So the alignment of why you're doing anything around technology or digital strategy is is the fundamental basis that will carry you forward. Mm. Um, and it doesn't have to be, and it shouldn't be just at the leadership. It has to be throughout the organization. So I'm, I'm surprised we have some large clients. I'm very surprised they don't have both a passive and, and, um, active communication effort around some of these things. So going to a portal homepage, when you turn on your laptop at work, talking about some of the key initiatives in the organization and, and maybe even financial results for the last quarter and making it relevant to everyone, uh, is, amazing, but most companies don't think about that. They only communicate when something has to happen rather than an ongoing engagement. Uh, so I think the strategy part uh, is so important. And the, the other thing is, I feel like a, a squeaky wheel is, is the organizational uh, effort around change management and focus on people. Mm -hmm. it, is, it is, we usually start uh, even during a, a, our sales cycle uh, and somebody's gonna go, wanna go through a, a selection and implementation data, Start working on your data, start working on your people. Mm -hmm. uh, you need to backfill people. You need to educate people while this project is happening. You need to support them from day one because uh, they're going to be your champions and change agents when you get done. Um, so data right. and people, I think, are, are, are core outside of just the alignment on strategy of why you're doing something. Yeah, I agree. Totally agree. And, and one of the challenges in our industry is that... Um, the echo chamber of our industry. When you look at software vendors, system integrators, most consultants that are affiliated with software vendors trying to push certain software products, they they don't use these exact words, but they suggest that maybe you should think less and just do now. So don't ask why, just do it. Is sort of the the refrain that you'll get, not directly, but that's the 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 mentality that you get oftentimes from the the 
technology and the digital transformation community. And the reason is because they want to sell software. They want you to move faster. They, they want you to stop thinking, stop asking why, stop worrying about alignment, stop worrying about you people. It's all about the technology. Let's get technology going right now. Let's do this agile approach. So you can deploy the technology quickly. And it's, it's all designed to sell software, but it's pushing you in a direction that totally circumvents everything you just said. And I think that's the problem. One of the biggest fundamental root cause problems in our industry is it's, it's designed. There's flaws in the design of our industry that are not conducive to strategic success in the way we're talking about here today. Yep. Um, but if you know this stuff that we're talking about and you take your, your advice to heart um, and you, you can use that to counter some of that messaging and take control and ownership of your project and run it the way you want to, which in my opinion is the right way is to ask, you know, make sure you define the why, make sure you focus on change management, have a solid plan up front, all that stuff that, that is really important. I'll bring one more thing up and I know you may have a, another question, but uh, uh, let's not disregard uh, let's not disregard the people that the system implementer brings to the table as well. Mm -hmm. um, typically what we see is you get the outstanding folks during the sales cycle, you get the outstanding folks at the beginning of the project, and then they start resource changing. Right. And when we come in middle of a project and uh, ask for, or we're being uh, engaged to do an assessment on the project, some of the things that frequently come up is that, there's not good knowledge transfer within the organization. They give us the C players. They have a lot of coaching. And all of a sudden now we know more of the product than the consultants that we're paying for. So staying on top of that is also very important. They don't necessarily need to know why you're going through this transformation, uh, but don't ignore the fact that the system integrator and the consultants are also a big uh, uh, factor in a successful implementation too. Right. And I want to call out one one more comment from the audience too. Um, it's actually a comment that's going to just blow up this entire conversation <laughs> and make me question this entire thread. But but this is actually a really good point. Uh, well known comment from uh, Arena on uh, LinkedIn says culture eats strategy for breakfast. So maybe strategies are relevant. I don't know. But uh, the culture, you know, you, and you talked just a moment ago about people, and and we've talked a lot about people and change management in this conversation. How do you see culture fitting into strategy? And, you know, is, is that something we should be thinking about? Well, I, 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 what I'll say on that is, is I would say strategy reflects the culture of the organization. Hmm. So um, when I was doing a, a project for, for Starbucks in Seattle, uh, there were a number of people on the client side uh, that had worked at, let's say, Amazon. Hmm. And Amazon at that time was big, but it wasn't as huge as this. And the culture there was uh, very militant in top-down direction, heavy workloads, just do it. And their, their ability to have projects and improve their operations to, you know, pennies on the dollar around the thing, around the, the strategy of their, uh, their own transformation um, was a, a representative of the culture in the organization. Mm. And so you can't have a kumbaya, wonderful, cohesive strategy if the culture is disastrous and painful and hurtful, right? right. And so I think the strategy reflects the culture of the organization, not that necessarily culture will absorb and, and dispute or diminish the strategy. I think they're, they should be and will are usually are aligned with each other. Right. So if, if, if there's a, a difficult organization from a culture standpoint, um, I'd be surprised that they have a long tenure moving forward of market share, successful customer attitudes and perception of their services, because it will permeate throughout the organization.
Um, yeah. We can go into another call around uh, how we view cultures of the different airlines. Uh, but for those who fly very often, they're a little bit sim more similar now than they have been. But in the past, each one had their own unique culture that drove their strategy of pricing, market uh, share, and those kind of things. So the difference yeah. between American and Southwest, for those that might be in the Dallas area, uh, pretty significant. Um, and, but now I would say Southwest isn't as different uh, because they've scaled to such a size. Now they're having to do very much the same kind of cost cutting focus mm -hmm. on, on managing the, the bottom line than they, than they had in the past. Right. So, yep. I, I think your strategy can also, one of your strategies might be to bend the culture too. You know, I, I agree, totally agree with you that your strategy reflects your culture, but it could be the inverse to some degree, especially now when organizations talk about becoming more innovative or more of a, a digital enterprise, um, that sort of thing. I think it, you can have um, you can have a strategy that is intended to bend your culture, but you have to recognize that there's headwinds. Yep. That you're trying to change something that's very difficult to change, and it's not going to happen as fast as implementing technology will happen. And if you know, so and that's and that's a good point. Is that if you're thinking that technology is going to drive that org structure change and and culture and change management, that's that's a difficult sale to me. Um, because it needs to probably start the other way around. If you have an innovative company or you want to become that, you can start way before any technology is introduced. Uh, and then when you layer on something that really is maybe uh, uh, fringe uh, functionality uh, or in a certain area that hasn't been touched before, but you've already have that, that crowd that is that servant kind of inquisitive mindset, mm. it is more likely to be successful than if you're thinking that technology alone Will change people's attitudes and culture of the company. It's it's kind of you can start one right now and right. And, and change how you think and work with your your with your folks. Right, right. And we have a um, just for um, those watching that might be interested, um, especially if you're interested in theoretical concepts. We have a one page summary of our digital strategy framework and things that we look at and that we unpack and help clients define as part of their digital strategy exercise. Uh, I'd be happy to share that with you. If anyone uh, wants, you can you can message me and uh, we'll share that with you. And if our marketing team listening happens to have a link to that, I don't know if we have it posted on our website or not, but if we do, um, you can also check the comments. Uh, they'll post it there if it exists. So don't don't take my word for it because it, it may not it may not be on the website. Um, so if it's not, uh, feel free to message me. But as, a, as the, using that as sort of a lead into my last question for you, Scott, um, how can organizations get started on their digital strategy definition in defining a digital strategy that's unique to them, you know, kind of reflects their business strategy and their corporate strategy. Yeah. I, one of the things that uh, still surprising me sometimes is that a lot of organizations, especially at a certain size uh, and they've grown by acquisitions or like, they, they don't really understand their, their technology architecture landscape. Hmm. Um, they don't, if things are working, maybe uh, they don't really understand kind of everything from uh, ease of use to cost or uh, uh, retirement across the spectrum to then align with why do you are you looking at this uh, to start off with? So one of the things that that we have conversations around in workshops and through implementations of a, of a ERP solution or point solution is is understanding what is your competitive advantage within each functional area and your your perspective of the organization in the marketplace. The concept that you can use all of the out of the box functionality and all of the out of the box processes within the system is naive. Because if that's the case, then you're not adding any value to the marketplace. 
every organization has a perspective or a competitive advantage or uniqueness to them and making sure that that shines throughout the whole process. So before you start a transformation project or, or initiative, before you go out and select a system, understanding your landscape in the first place, but understanding what's unique about you, mm. what, what is driving you, and then focus on that instead of making sure that everything is like for like match on a new system. Use out of the box for back office processing. Don't even think about doing something unique. If that doesn't give you increased revenue or increased market share, table it, right? right? Only focus on what truly is competitive advantage to you. And a lot of our clients are private and they don't necessarily have gone through that effort before. Right. And so a lot of these private companies become public or get bought off by public companies. So having that perspective is core, I think, before you go down this path. Because I think once you go down this path, you need to keep going. Right. You can't just do it for a little bit, stop and say, we're done. Um, so understanding why you're in business and why you're successful and then look at your technology landscape and, and see how they sync up. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well said. And you don't want to, to your point, you don't want to ignore the current state. You know, you need to use the current state and where you are today as sort of your, your grounding for, for not only what your strengths and weaknesses are and where you want to be focused on improving operations because it helps increase revenue or market share. Um, but you know, you just, it, it helps you be, be deliberate uh, in that way by focusing on the current state. And it also allows you to understand what you're up against. You know, if you, you, if you understand your current landscape, you know, not just in terms of technology, but your processes, your organizational design, uh, the people, the culture, you have to understand the realities of where you are so that you can have a realistic plan and, and a realistic strategy to get where you're trying to go. And too often a vendor or, or system integrator will come in and say, here's our, here's our project plan. Here's our proposal. We can do this in six months, no problem, or whatever the duration is. It's going to cost you X amount of money, but it doesn't consider where you are today and how big of a jump you're making as an organization. For some organizations, it's a massive leap. They're risk adverse. Uh, they're highly tenured staff that just resist change more than others. That's a totally different time frame and strategy than an organization that's a tech company. It's a young startup and it's right. fast. It's not tenured. It's immature processes. Those are two, two totally different scenarios they're going to have two totally different project plans, but oftentimes, more often than not, software vendors and system integrators will give those two companies the same exact proposal yep. because they know they can implement technology in six months or whatever it is. But yep. this isn't about implementing technology. So those are uh, Absolutely. Great, great points you bring up. All right. Thank you, Scott. Great conversation. And thank you to the audience for those great comments and questions as well. Really appreciate that. A um, lot of really good qu uh, questions that we didn't get to. Uh, but we'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll we'll dive into uh, sort of a debrief and build on some of the topics we talked about in that segment. And then stay tuned because later in the show, we'll have Andrew Hayes on the show who's going to join us to talk about digital transformation in education. So uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. When fans are big, that should be small. Who can tell what magic spells we'll be Are you looking to stay ahead of the curve in the ever-changing landscape of digital transformation? then you need our newly released 2023 Digital Transformation Report. This comprehensive report covers the latest trends, technologies, and strategies to ensure your digital transformation is optimized for success. The 2023 Digital Transformation Report is packed full of proven methodologies and insights from experts in the independent digital transformation field. You'll also receive practical insights on how to implement digital transformation strategies within your unique organization. 
This free report is available for download on our website at thirdstage-consulting.com under our thought leadership section. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. My name is Eric Kimberling here with Kyler Cheatham. And Kyler, we just had Dr. Scott Jenke on the show from our North American office here at Third Stage Consulting. We talked about digital strategy, theory versus reality. What were some of your takeaways and observations or follow-up questions from that conversation? Yeah, well, that conversation is one of those that you could watch multiple times and learn something new um, from every time. It actually reminded me, and this is a bit of a reach, um, but I read, I read a lot in parenting theory and I know you do too, but the reality is so similar to a digital transformation. And I was just looking at a TikTok video of someone I follow and it's like inspirational texts for my teenagers. And it's like, when does my social security number expire? And bro, don't talk to me in public. And (laughs) this, so it's, um, it's, it's similar, but obviously different in the fact that theory is important to be able to have a baseline understanding, but the reality of what it means to be a parent or what it means to go through a digital transformation is something so different. And Scott has the theory, but also went back into industry work, which is more of the reality. And if you saw him kind of execute on those project management skills, you can see both that are really prevalent in that. And I think he's one of the, you know, the few academics that could really convince me to get a specific certificate or just have that organization because it's be- it's become a trend to not have as much, you know, educational background when we see companies like Google or Facebook do their own sort of technical training as opposed to going to a university or institution to garner that. But there is a level of just overall organization and structure, like you talked about waterfall versus agile, just the need for that PMO service that is is the reason that we get called in to triage so many of these projects. Like you kind of talked about at the beginning of the episode, it's not a failure, but it's definitely on the train wreck path type of thing. So I think it's just so interesting that that, that is such a miss in the industry to have that formal PMO and that independent and technology agnostic PMO, because your your vendor partner is going to be the first person that tells you like, oh, no worries, we got this, we can do this. And that's often what we see when our clients come to us and say, mm, my project's in trouble. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's, uh, I agree with you too, by the way, with um, Scott being one of the few people that could convince me uh, that higher education or, or a certain certificate uh, is is valuable. I think the, my biggest question, you know, obviously I value higher education. I have a master's degree, not a doctorate, but I have a master's degree in business. Um, but my question, I guess, is more in today's day and age with with um, tuition costs being as high as they are. And I only say this because I have two teenage boys and planning for college is alarming. You know, looking at the, the cost to go to college makes you wonder, like, is that really worth it? Is that is that the best answer? Is it the only answer? Certainly not the only answer, but I Do think- Do you get um, inspirational text from them just- at- a question? <laughs> Not, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. My older one for sure. The 16 year old, the 13 year old one is a little bit different. He's, he's, a, he he's a very high social uh, EQ. So, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't got him yet. Maybe as he gets older and, uh, Just, more of an attitude, maybe, yeah. maybe I will. I don't know. But, uh, but you do think about like, is that, is that worth, um, the, the cost? And, and then I, but then I think about my own experience and I didn't have any intention of being a, 
technology consultant. And I think that actually benefited me because I went and studied other things. I studied business and it just so happens I ended up in the world of technology. But I think that business understanding, that MBA that I had and the, the sort of the business strategy, operation strategy, supply chain management, those are the things I studied and, and loved learning about in, in marketing as well. Um, I love learning that stuff in school and that taking that and then learning the technology stuff later, it really helped me. But if I were to like, if I knew I wanted to be a technology consultant, I worry, you know, I wonder like, would I've spent a hundred grand on a mm -hmm. undergrad or it might be more than that now, maybe it's 150,000 or whatever it is to, in the U S at least, um, to get a, uh, undergrad degree. Is it, would that have been worth it? I don't know. That's, that's hard to justify in my opinion, because you could just go get a PMP certification or take some Lean Six Sigma courses or whatever. There's ProSci. There's a lot of different courses and certifications you can take that might actually give you a better bang for your buck. Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on that. I, I tend to not look, honestly, I don't look a lot at people's educational history when I, when I hire, which uh, maybe I should, but I, I don't really look at that. I look at more of the, the experience and then I look at uh, most importantly, the cultural fit, you know, with us and with our clients. So I don't know. I'm, I'm torn on the whole thing, but, but he does make a compelling case for education though, which I, I appreciate. And he mentioned, you both mentioned that the ability to be a learner is really the thesis there. There's a lot of people within the industry, within consulting firms or within whatever industry you're interested in moving into that are very smart and that you can really have that kind of um, more apprentice type of role in learning from them. Uh, so that the, I think the overall takeaway there is being curious, not only on the career side, but as you both mentioned, on the enterprise technology side. But there's a balance between a huge innovation, digital mindset, all those fun buzzwords, right, to say, and actually strategy that's going to be implemented and understood within your organization and really match. Uh, so I think that's a, a really kind of humbling or I guess like baseline setting um, for the industry, because there's a difference between something that your your organization is ready for and something that you want to look look ahead for the future. But you have to have the infrastructure before um, you know implementing a technology that you might not be ready for. So I think that was a, a really good piece of advice that you both talked about. Yeah, and he's he sort of got into that uh, thread or question you you talked about earlier in the opening segment with the hot topics. You were talking about the go betweens in IT. And how, you know, the value or potential value of bridging the gap between technology and business and looking at the whole big picture is essentially what I took away from the hot topic. And then um, Dr. Janky or Scott talked about, um, talked about that as well, about how, you know, no one, a lot of times in these projects, people on the project team don't look up to look at the whole big picture. And if you don't have anyone doing that on a consistent basis, you're going to end up with a whole bunch of disparate works flows and work streams that aren't aligned, aren't accomplishing the goals and expectations of the organization. So uh, I think it's a really good point. Yeah. And that almost insurance policy of someone like an expert like you or Scott that has seen, like you gave an example of SAP S4HANA implementation that is in the yellow and kind mm -hmm. of readjusting that, nudging that back to a healthy project. That, I mean, is, is just so valuable and is an investment in the project as opposed to an additional expense. I know you have some great YouTube videos that kind of showcase how you have that conversation with your executive team, your school board, like we'll talk about in a, a few minutes here. Um, but that's really the most important piece is, is understanding the importance of not only that advisory service, but that 
dedication to the business objectives as opposed to any other agenda. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. And that was an interesting thread too, just talking about how you, how you get those things aligned, the business strategy with the digital strategy. And that's, that's a tricky, tricky proposition that a lot of organizations overlook completely. Absolutely. But well, thank you for all the great insight. And and thank you, um, Dr. Janky, as I always like to call him to make him feel uncomfortable. But um, <laughs> no, Scott's a, an excellent um, thought leader in our organization. So highly recommend following him on LinkedIn. And hopefully we can have him back because I think we can spin that conversation into about five more. Right. Yep. Absolutely. That was, was a great conversation. Um, well, good. Well, yep. Thank you just to Scott for being on the show and, and uh, to the audience for the great questions too. I think there's some there's a gold mine of questions we didn't get to in that conversation uh, in the various streams. So I think it'll give you some good fodder for the the question jar uh, for future episodes Absolutely. of this show. Yeah, yeah for sure. Mm-hmm. I fact, started writing one- them and then they're so long and so detailed. I'm like pulling them out, like at least 10 different questions. So thank you for all that. And I will get to those. I just have to pull, pull them apart because they were so dense and so, so valuable. So thank you. Yeah, there was one person on there. I, I don't remember who it was or even what stream they're on. They they were asking a lot of questions, but they were so the questions were so long. What I did pick up on them, they were very good questions, but I couldn't as as I'm facilitating and listening, I was just wasn't yeah. able to comprehend the questions enough to ask it intelligently. Um, so um, yeah, I think there's a some good stuff in there for sure, um, which there always is. But this one in particular felt like a lot. Mm-hmm. Okay, well we're gonna shift gears, and in a moment we're gonna bring on Andrew Hayes who's a senior manager within the digital transformation consulting space. And he's going to be joining Kyler to talk about digital transformation in education. And I would say or argue that even if you're not in the public sector or in the education space, which is a majority of our audience here, uh, I would challenge you to stay and listen anyway, because he has a lot of really good insights as a, as a consultant and a leader within digital transformations, a lot of really good best practices that extend well beyond the public sector. So I encourage you to Stay tuned and listen to that. And of course, if you are in the public sector, it's going to be even more relevant to you. So we'll have Andrew on the show here in just a moment. But first, we'll take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Hi, this is Eric Kimberling, the CEO of Third Stage Consulting. And we recently hosted our Digital Stratosphere 2022 virtual event. It's three days of packed content related to digital transformation best practices, about 16 or 18 different workshops and different speakers that are presenting on different topics, everything you need to know about transformation. The, the bad news is you, if you miss that event, the event's over. The, the live event already happened. But the good news, if you've missed it, or even if you did attend it and you want to see replays or you want to catch the sessions you missed, you can do that now by going to stratosphere2022.com. Go to stratosphere2022.com, register. All you have to do is put in your, your name and email address, uh, just a few fields. You get immediate access to all the recordings. And the recordings cover everything from digital strategy, um, software selection, organizational change, process improvement, architecture, data migration, cloud, trends in the industry, um, how to avoid failure, some of the legal aspects to think about, contractual aspects to think about as it relates to your transformation. All that is stuff that you'll get by registering for Stratosphere 2022 Replay. And again, go to stratosphere2022.com and you can listen to all the replays of all the workshops that you might have missed at the event. So hope you check it out, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.
Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. My name is Eric Kimberling, here with Kyler Cheatham. You can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. And if you're looking for a space, by the way, or a spot to go listen to past episodes, the 114 other episodes you may have missed some of, um, you can go to a playlist on on my YouTube channel. Um, there's a playlist for Transformation Ground Control um, on, on my channel. Just find that playlist under the playlist tab. You can go back and watch any or all of the episodes there. And of course, if you're listening on an audio podcast platform, you can scroll through and see past uh, episodes there. So uh, we're going to, Kyler, you, you're going to sit down and interview Andrew Hayes, who's a senior manager in the digital transformation consulting space. And he's going to talk with us about digital transformation best practices in education. So I'll pass it off to you, Kyler. Excellent. Um, well, excited for this conversation. And Andrew, thanks for sitting down with us today. Absolutely. Kyler, how are you today? Excellent. As always. Good, good. <laughs> well, uh, you know, as you know, I'm Andrew Hayes, uh, part of the third stage team. I'm a uh, certified PMP. I've got uh, master's degrees in the area of organizational development and an MBA. So I've, I've been proudly serving the public sector for going on 20 years now. And uh, I specialize in leading large teams on comprehensive IT assessments uh, that look at networking, that look at cybersecurity, but most importantly, uh, you know, that look at enterprise software systems. So, uh, you know, as one of the senior level program managers with the third stage team, uh, I am currently managing, uh, you know, one of our largest uh, ERP implementations. So uh, I'm very, very happy to uh, be part of the podcast here. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to our discussion today. Absolutely. Not only managing, but crushing it. Absolutely. So hey, you said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take, I'll take that. Thank you. <laughs> so let's, let's dig into that a little bit. Um, so one of the industries that we've seen some of the biggest transformations when a business or supports standpoint from IT is the education-based community. So can you kind of talk about that evolution over the last couple of years with the COVID-19 pandemic and just the need for new technologies or business processes within that specific industry? Absolutely. Well, I mean, one thing we constantly talk about here at Third Stage is that digital transformation. And I mean, when you really look at, um, you know, not only in in the city government space, but, uh, you know, even here in the educational space, um, what you can do in the ERP environment these days is just absolutely amazing. And, you know, when I look at um, specifically the, you know, the, the huge project that uh, Third Stage is overseeing right now, this implementation of this financial management system and this human capital management system, what this is going to do for their workforce, uh, you know, with the ways that they are communicating across departments, um, but, you know, also, uh, you know, externally is going to completely change their entire operation, uh, which is really, really exciting. You know, and the fact that our third stage team can be part of that. Um, you know, I take great pride in that. Well, excellent. Um, I, I know that it's a huge undertaking to go through any mm -hmm. sort of ERP transformation within any business, but specifically in higher education, it seems like 
or education in general, I should say, um, it seems like the actual workforce wears a lot of hats and there can be some specific nuances that are needed as far as requirements mm -hmm. um, for specific technology support. Can you talk a little bit about what those kind of nuances are in this environment? Well, absolutely. I mean, one thing that, you know, and thinking of one of our clients right now, um, the magnitude from a, an organizational change management perspective is so intense. Uh, you know, when they're going from um, antiquated legacy uh, technologies to a more modern, uh, one thing that, that we've tried to really do is to sketch out and talk through what the optimized 2B space is going to look like, you know, within this, this transformation so that their teams can start to plan from a change management standpoint, from a policy perspective, um, exactly how their operations uh, are going to change. You know, and, and in this instance, it, it's of such magnitude that uh, you might find that people's jobs get rescoped. You know, you're, you're doing these manual workarounds and everybody's excited because they finally got it to a point where they can manage through the antiquated technology. So sometimes people have a hard time even wrapping their minds around the value uh, that this is going to translate. And I mean, it's gotten to the point, you know, for our school boards and our boards of directors at these respective organizations where we are able to calculate uh, the savings in terms of hours when you're looking at this manual process took this individual, uh, you know, 24 hours a week, uh, twice a month, that's 48 hours right there that they're getting back um, because of the automation, uh, you know, through workflows that we're able to configure in these new systems. So, uh, Kyler, as you can imagine, uh, everybody is starting to get really, really excited, specifically on, um, you know, this large program, uh, you know, this implementation that uh, our team is, is, is managing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's super exciting. And, and though it can have a flip side, things like automation, we talk a lot about automation anxiety, um, yep. those types of different things. So w when we look at that positive change in the organization of shifting roles and responsibilities, obviously there's a sensitivity to communicating that to ensure that you have, you know, the comfort and the overall buy-in of the greater community to support this transformation. So can you talk, talk us through kind of how you do that in balancing the two? Yeah, absolutely. So what we try to do is just clear expectations out there for the team. Um, <clears throat> we make it so that there's no surprises. You know, we're, we're meeting with sponsorship on a weekly basis. Uh, you know, as we start to approach go lives, we put together a formal communication plan uh, you know, when you think about go live, how as a as a program manager, as a PMP, how can I help the, the end user community to help me provide support to them? Uh, and what we do is we roll this out so they understand exactly what the changes are that are coming, how that's going to positively impact them, how they can prepare for it. Um, we make sure that we're setting clear expectations for the timeline. For the levels of engagement, um, we are, in terms of the training artifacts that's coming out to them, we're setting clear expectations for what those are, what they mean, um, specific to our go live, 
Uh, we're letting people know, hey, uh, you know, here's the phone line that you can call for support. Uh, this is the email. Uh, you know, this is exactly what we need from you in terms of screenshots and errors that you're encountering. Um, so that's something that we try to almost over communicate. Um, as we've been going through the process of system integration testing uh, and approaching the point where we start bringing the end users into the system to test it, uh, we're making sure that our test cases are very clear, um, that our use cases are such that folks can easily understand what the actions are that we're testing. And we're having very positive feedback as we're starting to bring end users into the system. And I think, Kyler, from a cultural standpoint, the end users have to sell the success of the system to other end users. If you can promote success at the grassroots level, they, the other users are going to sell it, you know, the, the, the belief that we're, this is going to be a success um, better than any executive or any program manager ever could. Uh, and what we've done is we've made sure that we have a cross-functional team involved throughout the project so that we have, you know, centers of influence at different uh, levels of the organization. And I mean, that that is true, whether we're talking higher education, whether we're, we're working with a public utility, a city government, a regional transit authority, an airport, um, you know, a public housing authority, third stage uses that same approach, you know, across the board and we found that to be extremely successful on you know our implementations over the years yeah those change influencers can be incredibly powerful absolutely okay thank you kyler and andrew we're not done yet you've got a lot more to cover i know but we're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll continue the conversation but first we'll take that break you're listening to transformation ground control If you are aiming for transformation success, turn to Third Stage Consulting Group. Third Stage's independent and technology agnostic consulting team helps clients define their digital strategies, define their roadmaps, and manage their transformations. With offices in the US, Europe, and Australia, our team helps the world's most forward-thinking organizations through their transformation pitfalls and risks. If you are embarking on a digital transformation or business change initiative, contact Third Stage Consulting to see how we can help you reach the third stage of transformation success. Learn more about us and download independent reports, videos and other best practices at thirdstageconsulting.com. Welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115. I'm here with Kyler Cheatham, and she is interviewing Andrew Hayes, who's a senior manager, and we're talking about digital transformation in education. So I'll pass it back to you, Kyler. In, in talking about his school district, I, I kind of want to dig into that a little bit 
um, deeper into the cultural um, aspect of that. Because I assume each school, right, has its own community and culture and making a district-wide decision such as changing technology. What if like one school is ready for that and one school is not in your readiness assessment? How do you kind of combat and get everyone aligned on the same page so they can move forward to embrace that user adoption and, and technical changes? That's a good question. Um, I think the, it, it's important to understand how people receive and process information so that you are able to cater uh, and package your communications in such a way that it makes sense to them. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, there was a uh, electronic content management implementation that I was running. This was years back. And uh, one of the one of the clients uh, was having a difficulty understanding how this would translate to value for his department. And this gentleman was a big music guy, which so am I. Yeah, um, so is Eric. We all are. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, yes. So what I realized is he, you know, he he loved his iPhone, he loved his playlists, and this gentleman only viewed things uh, through the lens of projects. And I was, we were talking about metadata tagging and, you know, file naming convention systems and taxonomy, and I was able to explain this in such a way that he understood that he could, we, we would put all of the documents in a centralized repository like his iTunes library. And then he could create projects and add various documents through tagging. And I used the metaphor of creating a playlist and it, he completely understood it. So back to your question, I think it's a matter of for those school districts or, you know, for those departmental employees that might uh, have a mental block as to why workflow automation um, or, you know, mobility, why that might translate value when they're used to, uh, you know, or even software as a service. Why they're, you know, the things that they're, the norms that they're used to, um, if, you, if you can speak their language, bring it into their own environment and demonstrate value, that can get them out of those preconceived notions and alleviate some of that fear um, that, that might be a stumbling block for that district or that department as to why they, um, you know, why they may have, uh, you, you know, some reservations to adopting new technologies. And from a change management standpoint, and that's technically what that's falling under, um, we make sure that we're spending the time and having that open dialogue and that, that our third stage approach to program management and delivery um, brings them to a point where they are very comfortable and we can have these difficult discussions. So, and that's something that our team deals with throughout the day, oh, yeah. every day. Yeah, I know you guys are experts in that. And, I, and one point I wanna pull out there, cause it sounds like you really focused on the power of listening and really having the unique human perspective of what it means to value of, an employee's perspective, like your music um, playlist there. And that's really powerful because not only does it create 
success in, in getting that employee to speak that universal language, but it also makes them feel valued and, and cared about. Um, and a lot of times empathy can be incredibly powerful in creating ROI, and that's often misunderstood in technology. Yes. So let's, I have a question for you about specifically school districts. Um, I, a lot of times we get pulled in when there has been an implementation failure or when there is a project that's in need of triage. I just spoke to a district leader the other day here in the United States that talked about how they're going through a failure. So if, if you are considering as any public entity going through a digital transformation, what is the importance of engaging experts like third stage and understanding that that outside perspective can often be an insurance policy because we know the most expensive part of a digital transformation is the re's as we say right the redo repurpose replace yes. all of those so can you can you speak a little bit about your interaction kind of in in that triage well and i think that it's interesting that you asked me that question kyler because you know that that's kind of what i specialize in <laughs> Um, you know, over the years, I've been brought into many projects that, uh, you know, it's the runaway train, uh, you know, and uh, we've been able to get actively involved uh, to engage with those executives to talk about, you know, the criticality of bringing in a certified project management professional uh, to using PMI standards, uh, you know, and this is our day job. You know, and, and one thing that you find in these these projects is there's always constraints. Um, you know, the school district or the city government, uh, you know, or the utility or what have you. Um, it's always how can I balance my day job with the responsibilities of the project? Our third stage team, this is what we specialize in. This is what we do. This is what we've been doing. We've built our careers on that. And we are able to leverage the experience that we've had, the successes, the failures, the lessons learned, um, you know, all of those years of experience of our collective third stage team and utilize that uh, and open that robust experience up for the benefit of our clients. Um, you know, on the same token, we're used to managing these vendor relationships. We have the experience when you run into a situation of where the sales guy, tells the executive director, it absolutely can do this. And then you get into the implementation and it absolutely cannot. And <laughs> it has happened many, many times. And our team, uh, you know, has the experience of navigating through that situation. So uh, my advice to our audience out here is that, um, don't wait until things have gone bad to call third stage. Uh, give us a call when you're thinking about that new implementation. Um, get us engaged early on so that we can work with you to identify what those functional requirements, what those cybersecurity requirements are, um, you know, what your system integration requirements are so that you don't run into a situation where in your mind uh, you think that you've bought the best product and then it gets down to the implementation and things aren't going anywhere near uh, to what you plan for. The, the, we want to avoid the re's because um, the further along in the implementation, the more costly it gets to make changes and 
as you know, specifically with some of the projects that I've managed, um, you know, we've gotten engaged sometimes years after the start. And of course, we've been able to leverage that experience in the same way and, and still create wins. Uh, but it can just uh, bring excruciating pain uh, to the project team, you know, especially when there's already that project fatigue. Oh, absolutely. And, and the overall failure anxiety throughout the community that can be really powerful as well because you've already been trying to you know white knuckle through an implementation and now you've lost that trust of your community to yep. be able to do that um and i assume that's pretty powerful within specifically an education ecosystem it ab it absolutely is and um you know the focus is on the kids the focus is on the learning uh you know and 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 being able to have the tools that we need uh, for the administration to run the run the district, uh, you know, from an operating standpoint as efficiently as possible to give our teachers out there the tools that they need, you know, whether it's a, you know, it's a student information system in the classroom or we're talking about, uh, you know, an ERP system, financials and HR and procurement uh, on the administration side. So, um, it's just a matter of uh, having the right team in place. I mean, you guys around the office, you guys all me here, hear me talking about one team. Um, it is one team and you have the district and then you've got strategic partners. Third stage as your program manager, we're a strategic partner. Your vendor is a strategic partner. And we know in a software as a, as a service environment, um, this isn't just where you're just buying the software and the vendor goes away. No, you want to make sure that you're selecting software based on specific requirements that best reflect current and future need for the district, uh, but also that the implementer that you're working with, the vendor, um, you know, that, that they have a qualified team. And one thing that, that we specialize in dealing with school districts is that we um, we'll make sure that we're documenting those requirements and that we're carrying those throughout the selection process and into uh, the implementation. So uh, I feel really great about the team that we have in place, even on projects that have been extremely difficult. Um, you know, we have the ex experience here at third stage, you know, to deliver even a very difficult implementation when we're brought in later on in the project. Absolutely. And, and just to, to wrap up here, one thing that you touched on that I, I want to highlight is that technology agnostic position that you have. Your dedication is only to the business goals of the organization. So in my final question here, Andrew, can you explain to us why that's important and what that means? Well, what my focus is, is, you know, Yes, I have a Rolodex, uh, you know, with contacts from all the vendors. You know, I've been I've been working in this business at a high level, uh, Kyler, for nearly the last 20 years. Uh, but my focus is specifically on the requirements of my client, you know, who may be that district, who may be that city manager, that county administrator, that executive director at a public housing authority. Um, you know, my focus is on what the superintendent's needs are and documenting those and then putting together a rock solid requirement traceability matrix, um, you know, and then evaluating our vendors, uh, qualified vendors based upon that. Um, third stage specializes in 
putting together a qualified distribution list of vendors that we feel confident, uh, you know, could potentially serve our superintendents and, and the district that they represent. Uh, but my focus as, you know, as an agnostic um, is just making sure that we document requirements that best represent the current and future needs for the districts that third stage serves. Absolutely. And just understanding and navigating all of the different agendas there, because software vendors aren't terrible people, but they have a job and it's to sell you software, right? Um, our job is to, is to be dedicated to the objectives of the business and continuing through that third stage. So not just an implementation goodbye approach, right? Making sure that business value is realized. All right. Thank you, Kyler and Andrew. Great stuff. Appreciate having you both go through that and, and appreciate having Andrew on the show. Um, we've got a lot to cover. We're going to dive into some of those uh, threads and follow-ups here in just a moment. But first, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Transformation Ground Control. Could you whisper in my ear the things you want to feel? I'll give you energy. Interested in working for a company that truly values your unique skills and experience? Here at Third Stage, we don't hire based on resumes alone. We look at the full candidate, experience, and willingness to provide excellent service for our clients. Within a technology independent and agnostic consulting firm, you have the opportunity to learn across industries with a diverse group of clients. Our consultants also have the opportunity to diversify their portfolio and learn across technology systems. If you're interested in joining a high growth entrepreneurial organization, please reach out to us at work at thirdstage-consulting.com. Hello, welcome back to Transformation Ground Control, episode number 115, and I'm here with Kyler Cheatham. Kyler, you did a great job interviewing Andrew, talking about digital transformation in education in the public sector. What were some of your thoughts and takeaways after leading that discussion with him? Absolutely. Well, I kind of want to flip it on your head here, Eric, for lack of a better term, and ask you some of the questions Not sure that, that I, means, but... I know, right? <laughs> Me neither. It's just it awkward scary, as, I usually, <laughs> as I usually am. But um, so... Andrew talked about, and Andrew, again, is is one of those PMs, much like Scott Janke, that has a lot of practical cert cert certifications and experience, has that organizational um, foundation, which is why he leads a, a project like we talked about in that case study that is so large with um, a school district ent entity that we work with here at Third Stage. I asked him... When it comes to getting alignment for a transformation or a technology implementation with an industry so large that it has these subcultures like schools, I asked him, what happens if one school is ready and one is not? So I thought I might ask that to you maybe outside the public sector. What if you have a department, uh, you know, a location, uh, you know, a system that is ready, but the other side of the business might not be as ready? How do you kind of balance that to ensure that you're optimizing your project for success? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and it's something that's very real. Every organization has that, I would argue, um, different departments, different locations are just going to have different levels of readiness and maturity that they're working with and even risk tolerance and um, openness to change. All that stuff is, is going to vary from department to department or location by location. So one thing we do as an organization at third stage is we'll take clients through an organizational readiness assessment that identifies those differences so that when you get, ideally, when you're going through the 
project planning phase, you're laying out what the plan is going to be for how you're going to deploy process and technology and organizational improvements. You have a realistic understanding of what it's going to take. You know that that location that you know is highly tenured, much more tenured than uh, let's say location A. Location A uh, is, is a newer organization. It's a smaller organization. Location B is highly tenured. It's been around for a long time. They've got really outdated technologies. They're risk adverse. Um, they resist change in general. Those are two very different deployment plans, and you can't just take a cookie cutter approach and assume that you're going to take the same deployment plan for each of those locations. So the sooner you can identify those differences and understand those differences and then bake it into a realistic strategy and plan, that's the ideal state is to do that up front. The problem is organizations don't typically do that. System vendors or system integrators and software vendors tell them that it's going to be more of a cookie cutter approach. No problem. We can knock it out in you know three months for each location or whatever it is. And there isn't any consideration of how those organizations are different in terms of readiness. And ultimately, that level of readiness is what drives the implementation duration, the cost, and the complexity, and the risk. And building on that, kind of like we talked about in this case study and overall conversation, and it happens all the time in businesses, a lot of times organizations will go at it at their own, with their own internal competencies, with you know the greatest intentions of achieving a digital transformation by themselves, but they lead to a failure. And then all of a sudden, they have kind of this uphill battle with their organization or their culture that there has been that failure before. So how do you kind of turn the head, especially in a larger, more complex, different organization of an implementation that has failed? How can you kind of clean that slate and set them up for success? Yeah, it's a fortunately or unfortunately, depending on how you look at it, we have a lot of experience with helping clients clean up their own failures or someone else's failures. And, and it's something I think we're pretty good at and we're becoming good at. Um, and I'd say it's, it's certainly, first of all, it's a lot easier, it's cheaper, it's less painful if you just get it right up front. The problem is organizations get misled or they don't, you know, they have blind spots that they don't recognize. Uh, they think it's going to be easier than they think, and they, they get a certain amount into it and then um, get stuck or, or run into challenges along the way. So, uh, but if you are in that position where that ship has already sailed, you're already in somewhat of a mess, um, you know, the key is really just to um, just take a step back. And I don't want to say take a time out because you don't necessarily need to stop everything, but you really need to question everything because there are times where we go in and it's, and it's like, you know, why do you have X number of consultants from your system integrator when you're not even ready for that specific technology yet? Or we haven't even gotten to that phase yet, but the clients are, you know, the consultants are sitting there letting the meter run on their work, why are they here? You know, maybe we need to streamline or right size the level of staffing and support we have from our uh, consulting partners. Not because we don't want them there, but because it's just not, it's not the right time. We're spending too much money on that run rate. And oftentimes that's one of the biggest challenges is that the system integrator, the consultants on the technical side, just get sort of free reign and they just start billing and, it, and it's not efficient. So, you know, you start, you start by questioning everything. You start by putting some governance and quality assurance frameworks and risk management frameworks in place. And that will usually set the guardrails and you start to see what's off the guardrails and you start to rein that in or cut things that are outside the guardrails. And I know that's an oversimplification, but there are, you know, we have videos on our YouTube channels that talk more about quality assurance and more about program management. Even, you know, on my YouTube channel, there's videos about how to, how to fix or recover a failed or failing um, ERP implementation or digital transformation. So you can find some of those 
uh, additional insights on, on my YouTube channel as well. Absolutely. And as a follow-up to that conversation, um, you've you've done a lot on public versus private. Um, a lot of times the public sector doesn't get as, as much kind of attention in digital transformation spaces because they can be difficult, very complex, whether you're talking about a city government, utility, a school district, higher education, all of those different things. Um, so definitely head over as some some homework to that conversation, but I definitely want to thank An Andrew for all of his great insights. Um, and I did give you the opportunity in the end of that interview to connect with him if you'd like to another great resource, just like Dr. Scott Janke um, in uh, the overall third stage, really PMO program management or rehabilitation really team. So yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Thank you to Andrew for being here and thank you for facilitating that conversation with him, Kyler. I appreciate that. And uh, love to hear uh, comments from the audience, not just related to that conversation, but anything we talked about here throughout the day. Love to hear hear your comments in the in the chat here. So, uh, thank you everyone for thank you everyone for joining here today. I appreciate having you. This has been a, another great episode, and we appreciate it. Um, you can find new episodes of this show every Wednesday on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter, as well as audio podcast platforms throughout the world. So be sure to check it out there. Um, thank you again, Kyler, for uh, another good episode and. Look forward to seeing you and everyone else here next time. Hope you have a great week in the meantime, and we'll see you next time on Transformation Ground Control. Top ties in it. Top ties. Okay. Let's try it again. Take two. Okay. Strong, yeah, strong start. <laughs> okay. Um, how about that? Well, I'll start that part over and redo it. That sounds um, good. Just to make it, make it right. Okay. So if I just say, do a quick intro, hand it off to you to take over. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sounds good.